Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a blouse-filled bus here in 2019. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. I'm Philoscope. It sounded like Blouseville. Blouse, that's yeah. what, that's yeah. where the From movie takes place. About Blouseville. Blouseville. Um, where does it take place? Right next to Woodstock and Blouseville. <laughs> in upstate New York. In the Catskills. Woods, yeah. yeah. Blouseville adjacent. Blouseville adjacent. That's yeah, what they that's call fair. it. Okay. Um, with us today is Toby Herman. Hi. Toby's my new favorite person. <laughs> um, Connected in ways I had no idea. This yeah. movie is the most Jewish movie I think we've done. And I think it's even more Jewish than Jacob the Liar. Um <laughs> I, I would go with that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Liberty Heights of... is the next most Jewish, perhaps. Is there it's anybody a, else a, on the list? This is a super Jewish movie. This is a very Jewish movie. Although mm-hmm. Anna Paquin doesn't really radiate Judaism. I have a whole page of notes on that. <laughs> <laughs> and her accent. Diane Lane, by the way. But I, I bought Diane mo- Lane. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of Jews look like that. But um, I mean, fair. <laughs> no offense to the Jews. No, no, no. This We're all the, Jews. Such a Jewish podcast. Yeah. And to prove it, Toby and I have already done Jewish geography. We already played Jewish geography, as I said, to the highest levels. We didn't even mean to. We didn't even mean to. That's how much we had to. Toby, I'm going to do Toby. You took a flyer guessing when you asked her about those names, right? Like you were just like, do you know these people just by chance? So I don't know for our non-Jewish listeners, who I assume are entirely (laughs) Canadian, there's a game that Jews play called Jewish geography. Jewish geography is essentially, do you know this Jew? Um, and when I meet, and I didn't even know Tubby was Jewish, um, but she is from West Orange, New Jersey. I'm mm-hmm. just literally going to do your bio that I figured out in the last <laughs> five minutes. That's fine. So she's from West Orange, New Jersey. 
And uh, anyone from West Orange, New Jersey, there's an 85% chance you're Jewish. If you're, I love that you say orange correctly, by the way. What do I say? Orange. orange. You say it correctly. What As opposed people? to orange. Yeah, oh, West, that's wrong. West Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> I, you know, the, thing, <laughs> the, fruit, the fruit might be orange, but the town is West Orange and South Orange. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. My dad grew up in South Orange, but that's totally irrelevant. The, uh, I knew a couple kids who went to my mm. camp from West Orange. Mm-hmm. I called them the Reimer family. I think I was wrong. I think you're right. It's the Reimer family. I think so. Yeah. Mark Reimer and Matt Reimer. Mm-hmm. Shouting them out. I'm sure they're fans of the podcast. Sure they literally listening. haven't ever met Matt, and I haven't <laughs> seen Mark in – I haven't so seen – So they're listening. I haven't seen Mark in, um, in, in probably 25 years, and he's six years older than me. But he was cool, right? What made him cool? What year are you talking uh, Early 90s? Mark was 15 when I was nine. Mark was the oldest kid in the camp when I was the youngest kid. So there's always a relationship between the oldest sure. kids and oh, the yeah. youngest kids. Well, because you look up to them. You're like, they're the coolest people in the world. Well, they pay like, you off sometimes. Yeah, they pay yeah. you off and like yeah. they just take care of you. So mm-hmm. they, they were the oldest. We were the youngest. And then Mark came back a couple years later as a counselor. Um, and like uh, there's a very cool guy there named John Sullivan. And Mark was like his best friend. Cool guy? Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah. we always had a f- couple of cool guys. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't happen to YJ where it totally And right. Camp Young Judea. Young Judea didn't. Young, and then, all right, so that was like level one of Jewish geography. Do you know this random Jew I knew 25 years ago? And I do. And yeah. she does. <laughs> do you have anything you want to add about, the, about Mark Reamer? Um, I had the biggest crush on him in 10th grade. He was crush-worthy. Yeah. Because he, he was an athlete? Great soccer player, right? Mm-hmm. As everybody in West Orange is. Oh, maybe not everybody. <laughs> well, every <laughs> I used to strike out a T ball. Like the only that, reason oh. I kept playing softball was because there was a Carvel across the street. You know, amazing. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason I go to the dentist. There you go. Um, it's not. It, it's honestly, it's not because of the Carvel. It's because it's right near the Nosh. So I oh, just really? Go right <laughs> <across> <laughs> the nosh. It's amazing. I, I never felt so Jewish in my life. This is real so, Jewish. So level one of Jewish geography is you know some random Jew. Level like two or three, you know, this you I know currently, level 100, which is where we got, is you know my first cousin mm-hmm. who is like on the present of my life and one of my favorite people in the world, Kim Sherman. Her last name is Stamler now. Oh, okay. Yes. I'll have to find her because I'm not even like Facebook friends or anything with her. Um, Although she doesn't strike me as so someone who would be on Big Facebook. on social media. <laughs> yeah. Her husband her husband is so is, is a little bigger and whenever she's in a post on uh, on. Instagram, he'll, he'll hashtag it rare appearance yeah. on Instagram by Kim. So, <laughs> okay. but um, that's cool. Do you have any memories of my, my cousin Kim, who I'm crazy this about? This is amazing. So, Kim, if I'm doing this correctly, as in remembering, um, she was a year behind me. Mm-hmm. And I have this memory of sitting, I can see us sitting on her top bunk in her bunk um, towards the end of camp, like, you know, like when there's like color war or whatever, yeah, you course. rewrite uh, the lyrics war. to something. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, for like so- a friendship song. And song. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we had friendship songs and fight songs or whatever. And I remember very clearly, I don't know if it, our color war was called Macavia. And I don't know if it was during that or what. Um, were your color wars themed? Yes. Okay. Ours but were like, themed too. But like super, like, Kosher themes. Oh, no, ours were pop culture <laughs> themes. Oh, that would be nice. It was, no, like, it like was... one year it was The Godfather, and one year it was like it was like movies and TV do you, shows. Do you do your thing. teams based on that? Yes. All right, so we do that for a different weekend. We have, oh. a, we have, a, we have a mid-year co-ed thing that was themed. Oh, that we, we had, it was at the end of second month, end of August. They did Color War, 
and this whole camp was broken into four teams based on colors each. Oh, yeah, we did. The two teams, mm-hmm. end of the year, just the boys and just the girls. In the oh, middle no, of the year, ours was we, we called it Big Weekend because we're very clever at my camp. Big Weekend? Big Weekend. Yeah, yeah. ours was a surprise. So whenever it broke was a huge thing. What were like some great breaks? Um, my first one was. Was it I- ever a surprise? As a camper, yes. Okay. Um, Us except too. the later it got into second month, and if it hadn't happened yet, they're like, like, it's lunch, and we're like, oh, there's no really? color war this year. Well, yeah. it, it pretty much had to happen on one of two days for us because oh, okay. of the way time worked out. You know, we knew that there because was like it's a the, flat circle. Time's a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So we knew we knew that there was like like the last day that there. Then there was a uh, all camp trip the day before it. So basically, and there was one that like we cleaned up. Uh-huh. So, like, there were three days. So, there's going to be three days or four days left over. So, it had to be on either a Tuesday or a Wednesday. It could so, have been whenever for us. Yeah, it was whenever for us, too. What do you mean, whenever? No way. Yeah. yeah. And then, Not okay. like in the fifth. It could, could have been, like, the yeah. fifth week. I mean, it was usually near the end. For us, it was usually within, like, within a week of the end of the summer. It was never the first week. You guys just weren't as up on the, the calendar as I was. Well, can I tell you? <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I went. Probably. I went to camp for nine years, snuck into the 10-year photo because I knew I wasn't going back. But um, I was – my last year as a counselor, I did programming. And so we got to come up with – we figured out when it was and got to come up with how we broke it. And that to me was just like Yeah, I was ultimate. I was a color war captain, which oh, was a I'm big deal. I'm still oh. bitter that I wasn't. I was, too, I was Toby? Oh, my God. I'm so upset that you were. I was, I was not just <laughs> – I was a co-captain the year before and then a captain wow. my last year as a camper. Um, Kai, does captain mean did you, did you have the kind of color war teams where they were run by campers or were they run by coaches? Run by campers. Okay, us too. We were run by coaches. So no, we were run we, by some council. I mean, each each team had. I mean, I guess sort of something close to what you're talking about, which is that there was a upper level counselor or or um, instructor. Two of them that were like the mascots of your. Team sounds different. Like so, they were kind of like making sure that you didn't completely crater as a captain, but like they didn't really do very much. Yeah, we had um, we had six teams: a girl and boy um, captain for each from the oldest year, and um, there were counselors on each team, mm-hmm. but they were just making sure we didn't like light ourselves on fire. So our counselors yeah. were the ones who were really playing. Got it. All, I mean, they weren't playing the sports, but they were oh. the ones who were really like us, writing okay. the songs. No, it was all us. They were coming up with the teams. They were coming up with the strategy for like you know Patchy Relay or whatever. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure that's not called Apache Relay anymore. But yeah, it was, it was like the theme for my year was uh, End of the World, and the teams were like I was the Red Romans, what year the was Blue it? Scientists. Oh God, uh, was that like 1995? In '91, our themes were like Cities of Israel. Wow, I was on. Wow, on, uh, you guys were really. Beersheba. I mean, it was. No, they went real deep. Yeah, they went beyond Haifa. Uh, that's, that's, that was blue. That, that was is, blue. I was gray. Uh, gray, interesting. We, well, it there was were six always, teams. Yeah, it was four teams. It was always it was always blue, red, green, and then whatever the other color was, white or yellow, never fucking won. Like that off color, never won. Oh, it, I it just sort of felt like that was always the case. Maroon and gray. Maroon. See, you guys went like that's not a very Jewish color. That's those, funny. Those are our camp colors: maroon and gray. Uh, ours are we're na- not like, navy and white. Weirdly, this is a weird thing to say for a camp that was at least eighty percent Jewish. We weren't a very Jewish camp. That's not a weird I would thing say, to say. I at would all. say the same thing. Yeah, ours. I mean, we we did, uh, you know, Friday night sort of stuff. We did, kind we of. did some shtick on Friday but night. That was basically that's the end it. Of it. Yeah, and and I, I think that I mean I'm assuming and we called it shtick. We called it Friday night shtick. <laughs> I mean, no, that's I would I would have bought that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think part of it was 
to not alienate people, I guess, to a certain extent. Like, it didn't feel like a camp that was trying to be sort of inclusive and, or, or, or exclusive. And in the interest of not alienating people. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> a movie that – movie. But this is not completely irrelevant because this is – It's a, a very Jewish movie. Very Jewish movie. Real simple. Like, this, this – yeah. If you grew up on the East Coast, and I think Toronto almost qualifies – Toronto – Almost qualifies. It does qualify. If you grew up basically from Detroit, Chicago, all the way to Maine and all the way down to D.C. This was, yeah. These, are, the, these are your parents, yeah. basically, right? And you were Jewish, of course. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone is. Um, these were your parents. And yeah. they went to the Catskills. Yeah. And they stayed at Kutcher's. Mm-hmm. And they saw these horrible comedians who I thought, like, I was hilarious. I think now it's my turn to laugh. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> dance because it's my dancing. turn to laugh. Um, which is such a good line. And uh, yeah, this they, has a marvelous Mrs. Maisel vibe, wouldn't you say? It's season two, anyway. If uh, people who have seen well, season two, I mean, two, there there are tons of overlap. Never watched There's an tons episode. Of, really? That's unfortunate. That, it's a really good show. Um, but this this season in particular felt sorry. This movie felt very similar to season two a little bit. Well, yeah, me. I mean, yeah. they're mining from the same thing. Does she Just go the to the Catskills? Cat yep. Yeah, for a good I chunk would, of season I, two. I think I would actually love that show. Yeah, yeah. you really would. I'm surprised you haven't watched it. Well, you got got a lot of things going on. Um, I'm but, a brag. Raising kids. Just meant children. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that this the, – the Catskills experience, I can't think of a ton of movies that tap into it. I mean, Dirty Dancing comes to mind. 100%. But that's not a particularly a little different, Jewish a little different, movie. Yeah. Like it's kind it's of – It's like a sub-layer there. Yeah. But it was interesting because um, – and if I'm getting ahead of myself, please no, stop please, me. No. But it's interesting because – I realized on my rewatch, I think I was the only one of us who had ever seen this before, possibly in the theater. Um, Nice. I realized that as it kind of starts the same as Dirty Dancing, the family's packing up. They're in the car. um, Where Baby sits in the back of the car is exactly where Allison is sitting, you know? And then the first scene when they get to the resort is that they're packing the car and the announcers going on. So, like, that's just what that culture was. Yeah, it's, I mean, it it is, I will say that this film, immediately has a sense of play like just you don't even see these people's faces just their belongings just mm-hmm. seeing that you mm-hmm. you understand who these people are it's it's it, it really is very good at that of uh, setting this the stage yeah i have like a weird take on this movie oh yeah yeah my weird take is like i'm not to get way too ahead of myself it's not like i gave it a super high number because mm-hmm. um, at the end of this we rate it but i loved it like I really truly like loved this movie in a very weird in a very unexpected way because I think that it's it's not ambitious. Um I've seen movies like this dozens uh-huh. of times all starting Diane Lane. Um <laughs> but and, and and I think like initially I started watching it and started and thought um you know not just just how 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 much how better Mad Men is at doing period than this kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. All that being said, I wasn't bored for a second. It felt yeah. very comfortable. I was really affected by the plot in many different ways. Um, I thought the performances for the most part were great. I didn't love all the accents. Uh, even the parts where I think we're going to get to parts that like didn't really work, but they didn't really work in ways that I think were kind of funny. So And I think are kind yeah. of fun. And I think are kind of like – I think this is a weirdly – for a movie that's so depressing in some ways, it's a weirdly rewatchable movie. I'm surprised it didn't take off I do way. think it found life on video. As I mentioned when we were in the elevator on the way up earlier, I did feel like it was a movie that a lot of people rented at the video stores that I worked at. I think it definitely sort of found a life for itself there. Um, <clears throat> certainly as Vigo became bigger, I think it was a movie that people went back to perhaps. Um, 
I think we land in the same place in terms of how much we liked the film. I think I had some more beefs with some of the character stuff, Vigo's character in particular. Um, but, but overall I was, I I was really taken with it. It's very sort of, it's very charming. It's very winning. Mm -hmm. Diane Lane, you're just like, you fall in love with her. She's, she's just so beautiful and awesome. It looks so much better than it has to. Yeah. When it does some of that Woodstock stuff, I was like, shit. Like this is this has like scope. I think like Tony Goldwyn in and of itself is kind of a weird Hollywood guy. Yeah, there, but he made some really wonderful choices. And this like, was his first film. His first as a film. Mm-hmm. He did mostly. T- he's done mostly TV, which is understandable. Then, yeah. He did some but, stuff. And yeah. th- th- Tony Goldwyn in and of itself is a, kind of a bizarre guy because he went from being like kind of this weird ugly guy and ghost, ghost to being like the hot president. <laughs> yeah. So I can't yeah. really figure that part out. I don't know that he was ugly in Ghost. I thought he was pretty ugly. I didn't think he was. He, I meant on the inside. I meant on the inside, of course. He's. Oh, okay. he, I mean, <laughs> well, you compare him to Patrick Swayze. Like he's clearly the like he's the B team in that movie. B team. Oh, a hundred percent. So but of I, course, I, I'm that, watching it and I'm like, one of them looks Jewish. So <laughs> <laughs> like, if I see someone on screen that I on screen that I could have gone to camp for, I don't even notice. But I'm just like, yeah. he's an attractive man. He's not an. I don't know. I mean, I've heard he, he maybe, grew into his face for sure. Ugly is not really the right. I, I was like, I have friends who met him on Scandal and were just like blown away by how attracted they were to him. So, Oh, I've seen him in real life too. Yeah. He's like the handsomest dad in the world now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, really. Yeah. But like on, but he was, to me, he was like, you know, it's almost, it's so stupid. He's like the handsomest Steve Buscemi in like uh ghost, right? Like to me is like that. Like, oh, I think those that, are strong words. That, they are strong when words. When he takes off his shirt, Right, because he like at one point he goes over to Demi's in Ghost. Yes, and like he spills something on himself intentionally. Yes, he's pretty cut. Sure. I mean, like he's he's got a pretty. But he's from I mean, Hollywood. I mean, he's supposed to be a threat. You yeah. Know, so a physical threat. Yes, he's. A, you're right. No, he's he, he's the <laughs> An v, he's the Vigo of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. Um, okay. So my only well, point about Tony Goldwyn. About Tony Goldwyn, though. Sure. Is he related to the Goldwins? Samuel like the- Goldman was his grandfather. Okay. I so believe. yes. I, wow. Yeah. I, w- I was assuming that there was some sort of a connection. There. Yes. So the only point I wanted to make is yeah, there are simple things like when the girls decide they're going to Woodstock. Yeah. And it is shot. Ninety nine percent of people would shoot that. You know, with two cameras set up very normally, it is shot entirely in long shot over those like they're not really reeds over mm-hmm. the like the tall grass. Yeah. Um. And I, it's just it looks beautiful and it's it incredible, really and it probably costs a lot less, and it's really clever. So I, it's a it's a very good looking movie. Yeah. There's there's there is time and love taken in the way that it's made. Um, you know, I, I, again, if I have one one issue with it, and it's an issue that I that Ebert had as well, so we'll get into that in a second. But it it is there is a bit of a rush to the affair, the affair that I think, and it's it's. You know what I mean? This movie, Entertainment Weekly said it was the ninth sexiest film of all time. I hate that characterization of the movie. I'm not sure that that's – like the movie unfortunately has a, a Harlequin quality to it mm-hmm. that intentionally or not is kind of there. So the rush to the sex and the affair sort of cuts the movie off at the knees a little bit in terms of not really – because I think that, that Vigo or Walker is not – fully three-dimensional. Like, I'm not sure we really know much about him. He's sort of the the man candy of the movie a little bit. There's something there. I'm I mean, not saying there's nothing there, I, but there's I, not as much there as I would have hoped. I don't want anything. I don't need anything there. Okay. Because he, because he doesn't really... He's a cipher, and he should just he, be a... Okay. A, a wedge. He, he, re, he just represents the life that she never got. Yeah, he's, his That's whole fair. life is noncommittal. I mean, he... 
That's he, fair. He travels around. He has this freedom that she feels like she never had. I mean, right. That's how I saw it. But that's also fair. going along with what Kenny was saying, he's just stunning in this movie. He's a really beautiful I, man I, in this film. I never yeah. – I, I came to Vigo very late <laughs> in Vigo's career, probably around History of Violence, mm-hmm. right? I really didn't even know the guy existed. Before well, that. I think Lord of the Rings, right? Well, I never watched those. Wasn't History of Violence before that? I watched. No. I watched one half. It was 05. The, I watched one half of the first two and thought they were very boring. And one half of the first two. I watched, you tried one and two. I watched half of the Fur Fellowship yeah. and I was very bored, and yeah. I couldn't help but turn it off. And then I watched half of Two Towers and was very bored, and I couldn't help but turn it off. So you have not seen any of them to this day, all the all the way through, and and you know there's. 400 people in those movies, like Vigo, was, yeah. was nobody to me. Okay, fair yeah. enough. One of my, my roommate at the time when those came out referred to it as walk, 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 fight, fight, fight. Because that's <laughs> – Yeah. I mean, fair, fair. And I, I wasn't I mean, a Lord of the Ring kid either. So yeah. no, I wasn't either. They meant not – the whole thing meant nothing to me. And on top of that, mm-hmm. fantasy is not my genre. And like, okay. you know, even like Game of Thrones to this day is like 60% of the episodes are a slog for me. Vigo made an impression on me in Carlito's way. That was the first okay. time that I had noticed him. Now I didn't know who he was. Did you? Did you? When you saw him, and you know, this was a different time. But did, were you struck by how gorgeous he is in this? In this, clearly, in this, this he's a stunning shocking. man. I in Carlito's way. I don't know if you remember him in Carlito's way. I don't know the last time I saw that. It's actually, I, that movie is actually pretty great. I mean, I think it's I think it's the last. Great De Palma was he film. In Grease too, because I could speak to that. <laughs> he might have been. I've never seen Grease too. You've say never for, seen Grease too. I, can I, never say for I know, and I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I was going to make a joke. I was going to say you have seen Grease too, but only the Michelle Pfeiffer part, which is the I love Michelle thing. Pfeiffer. So yeah, that's right. Um, he's for for our listening audience. He is not in Grease. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. But as I write Grease three, I will consider him. Oh, Grease three. Who's going to be have in you it? Try, Who are um, your leads? Vigo, apparently. <laughs> Vigo post Green Book. <laughs> Grease, Grease 3, <laughs> but everybody are in their 90s is great. I like That's that. Grease 3, like the Rydell retirement home. Yeah. This or is, Grease 3 in the 90s, I think, is what also would work. Grease 3 in the 90s? I, we're, we're honestly giving away a lot of good free ideas. We, 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 we do that kind of all are. the time. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but it happens. But here's my thing about Vigo. He's in, he's in Carlito's Way. He only has two scenes, I believe, if that. He plays a guy who uh, got shot and is in a wheelchair. And he um, he basically goes into a meeting with Carlita Wired. Um, and Vigo's just amazing in the scene. You guys, if nothing else, go online, watch that one scene. He's great. He makes a real impression. I want to watch I, that movie. It's great. I don't think I've seen you it. You've never seen oh, it? Oh, no. I saw it in like 91. I saw oh, it's, it. It's it, fantastic. Was, it was like an HBO movie. It's a it's a legit great movie. It's yeah. uh, David Kapp. It's, I, it's a great yeah. movie. Um, but I don't love De Palma. I don't love De Palma either. Okay, great. I like him. When he's great, I like him. Do we have a De Palma this year? I do not believe we do. Okay. Uh, long story short, Vigo <laughs> is sort of – this is 99, and he's still not really – he hasn't really popped at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me just look. He's above, he is above the title, even though I think Leah Shriver has, has he's, a much bigger – Well, he's also – How long is this podcast? I, I, two I have things to say. I have things to say about Leah. <laughs> Can I just say very quickly? Yes, just yes, let's, yes. I just want to walk through Vigo really quickly. Just I want to walk I, through Vigo too. <laughs> I walk through Vigo is what they should have called. Pretty this good. <laughs> so apparently, Diane Lane took a took a cut on her fees so they could get him Vigo. Vigo. So he was asking for like I guess real money at this time, which I think is interesting. Since okay, so he's in Psycho in and a Perfect Murder in '98. So he's in. That's a remake of. Those Dalda. Had, probably hadn't come out during production. I saw both. That's true. Too. I saw both those movies, 
And if you asked me if he were in either one of them, I would not have said that he was. I, I remember him in Psycho. I guess in A Perfect Murder, he was probably like the person who helped out Gwyneth or something, or like I think he's the the lover to Gwyneth. He's the and lover to I Gwyneth. Think, I think. I mean, bottom line, who would not give up their own money to make out with Vigo <laughs> in a river naked? Well, apparently in 1999, no, no. I mean, Green Book Vigo. Uh, <laughs> so he, he does a walk. To, he does a walk on the moon. That's like that's. Uh, for so many people, that's what people are going to remember him by. And by the way, he did a good the, job. People, but, by the way, that is the scene that I remember people talking about. Oh, you're talking about the river? The waterfall. I'm, I'm talking, talking about the waterfall. I'm just talking about – That's that, what the TLC I'm just talking about Vigo. Stop it. I'm kidding. God damn it. <laughs> that song's that, about AIDS. It's about everything but that, actually. <laughs> it's literally, literally about AIDS. It's about more than just AIDS, though, isn't it? It's no, like the drugs. Three, the, three, the, the line is something like three letters brought him to his final resting. But that was just one HIV. of. There's like three different stories. Other oh, vignettes. It. Yeah, it's it's a tri- it's a whole triptych thing. Okay. But yeah, obviously <laughs> it's <about> AIDS. Come <laughs> on. Either way, he's in a walk in the mood. He's in 28 days, and then he's in Lord of the Lord of the Rings, and then it's just like you know Hidalgo and history of violence and what. Then he's then he's Vigo. But my point is the fact that he was asking for as much money as he was asking. I think it's kind of bold, but. You what know, do you? The, I mean, do you know how much money it was? I don't know how much he was asking for, but um, he's in stuff. He's just—it's just not stuff that I, I didn't even know he was in *Crimson Tide*. He's in *A Portrait of a Lady*. He's in *GI Jane*. Like he's in movies. I've seen so many of these movies. Yeah, but he I never, never made an impression. He never made an impression. Anyway, he made an impression on me in *Carlito's Way*, and then he pops up in a couple movies that I remember. And then he's in *Lord of the Rings*, and now he's Viggo Morrison. You want to talk? Should we talk Lee Schreiber? Let's talk Lee Schreiber because I have feelings about Lee Schreiber as well. In this movie or in, in general? life? In general. Okay. Great. Let's do it. Um. I enjoy him thoroughly. <laughs> I think What's your favorite Leif Schreiber performance? Can I tell you, I probably would have answered this differently prior, but after rewatching this, it might be this. The he's back really half good. Of he's this really movie. good in this movie. Um, what would have been? What it, would it have been before? God, he's in a lot of movies. Right now, I can't think of another damn thing he did. Scream. Yeah. Oh, he, Scream Two. Scream really. Two. Yeah. Cotton Weary. Well, you know, what a weirdly good performance that he has is. Um, that a movie that has weirdly kind of just been lost to time is Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. He was really good in. He's he's very good in that. I if I had to pick one, I think he's fucking great in Spotlight. I think he is. Oh, he's fantastic! He's yeah, fantastic he's in Spotlight. It's that probably, movie is oddly rewatchable. It's very rewatchable. He's never had, I think, a bad performance. Really, well, I was going to say the opposite. Almost, he's never had the. <laughs> he's never been good. The breakout. He's, he's never had that. He's never had what that about thing. Ray Donovan. Fucking. Yeah, I just here's what I'll ask I you though, Kenny, because you're a sports guy. Sure, you yeah, must bud. love his. Yeah, look at me. His arms. You are a sports. I no, agree. no, no. I'm a sports guy. <laughs> you're, you're. Yes, I love. I, I, I love his voice on, on HBO's and yes, the 24 sevens. I he's love got a his great voice. narrator voice. Actually, it doesn't. It's so weird because it doesn't sound like him. Because um, <laughs> he's that good. Because he does. Yeah, he does. So he does hard knocks every year, right? Yes, 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 yes. So he does hard knocks and narrates hard knocks. And yes, I think he has an incredible voice, and he is kind of weirdly this voice of the NFL. Um, <laughs> I love Liev obviously as yeah. a uh, as a fellow traveler, fellow Jew traveler. Um, it's funny, like he is the hottest Jew. I always have thought, like, is he? I've always thought, like, this guy, the hot, the hottest true Jew. Yes, hottest true Jew. Are there fake Jews? Yeah, like the Paul Newmans of the world. But like, you know, I mean, listen to the Adam <laughs> Sandler song. Like, you know, you, people who dip their toe in like Judaism. I mean, they're yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, they're. I mean, like Paul Newman is like. Half Jewish, right. not too shabby. <laughs> Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul, I think so. I think Liev is significantly better looking than Paul Rudd. Jake Gyllenhaal. 
significantly better looking. I'm just going through the list of, I looked up hot, hot Jews? male Jews. Is Amazing. T- is, how, how are, what is you know, we got, we got, we got Adam Brody, Andrew Garfield, James Franco, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Are, you know a Jew I think is hot, who I think he's Jewish. I'm not 100% sure. Mm. Tim Roth is Jewish. Really? Yeah. Adrian Brody. A Jew I think is hot. Uh, a Adrian, Jew I think is Adrian, hot. Adrian Brody is literally only attractive because he's Jewish. There are people If he looked the way he looked Jewish. and he was not Jewish, people were like, ugh. Where they're like, oh, look at this guy. Look at that nose. <laughs> what are we going to do? The, so BuzzFeed did the official ranking of the 51 hottest Jewish men in Hollywood. Yeah, why wouldn't I? How recently? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're asking the hard questions. 2013. Uh, 23, oh, so. so pretty recently. There's a whole, do there, we there, know, there's a whole crop of Jews. Do we want to know the, the top 10? Sure. Yes. Just, I'll walk through the top 10 real quick here. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Adam Levine, Andrew Garfield. Oh, by the James, way, a- Adam, Dave Le- Franco. Adam Levine is America's answer for the hottest Jew. Not my answer, but definitely my mom's answer. Ben Barnes, Jake Gyllenhaal, James Jill. Franco, Lieb Schreiber's number three, Brian Greenberg at number two. <laughs> Women love Brian Greenberg. And Adam Brody at number no, one. Mothers love Brian Greenberg. I don't know. My sister loves Adam <laughs> Brian Greenberg. I love I mean Adam Brody. Adam Brody. Sure. But what about I mean- Pen Badgley? Is he Jewish? <laughs> now you're just being OC people? Just members of, of Gossip Girl and the OC? I was going to say, he's not on There's the got to be some. There's got to be some. I can't believe this is a podcast right now. But there's got to be some Scarlett Johansson man Jew. Like some like. Is Scarlett Johansson Jewish? Yes. yes. Some like you <laughs> can't believe that They're this Jewish. guy is a Jew. And there are other. I mean, Natalie Portman is like. Kind of yeah. the classic. But she's owned it from day one. Winona yeah. Ryder for me. Is, Winona Ryder. Her kid's name is Olive. Aleph? Yeah, like yeah. the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. I mean, Natalie and, and Winona are sort of my, you know. There's got to be a man version. I, I guess like Adam Brody. And I guess the, the guys in the list are the man version of that. They kind like, of are. Paul right. Newman really is. But yeah. Liev is such a man man. Yes, that's yeah. my Liev, Liev, yeah, he's, and he looks great in this movie. He yeah. is great in this movie. Um, he's only 32 in this movie. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Is Eric Bana Jewish or did he just play Jewish? Let's see. I don't think Is he's Daniel Jewish. Craig no, Jewish or did he just play Jewish? There's Well, that I don't know because he's married to Rachel Weiss. But, um, so I feel like maybe he could be partially or at least like indoctrinated. But um, there's no way we had a Jewish Hulk and didn't talk about it. <laughs> That's <laughs> I mean, true. Fair. Yeah, uh, not Jewish. Brendan Fraser, not Jewish. Shocking. This is So there's a list of the 11. <laughs> Someone should tell his face. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 11 best Jewish movie characters played by non-Jewish actors. Uh, oh, this is really the worst Liam podcast Nelson. we've done. <laughs> I think it's the best. I'm crazy about it. This is the best. Uh, oh, Brendan Fraser, School Ties, Eric Bana in Munich, De Niro in Casino, yep. John Goodman in The Big Lebowski, Angelina Jolie in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I'm John, not sure that that's John Go- even. John Goodman converted to The Big Lebowski. He did. You're right. Yes. He did. You're right. Good point. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do this, but it's it's Angelina uh, Jolie played a Jew. They're claiming she's Jewish and Mr. And Mrs. Smith, but I don't remember that being. Oh, she says it. Oh, right at the end, it's like a joke where she's like, keep "We going, have to go, keep going. We have to redo other, every conversation we ever Jews? had." At which point, Angelina Jolie says, "I'm Jewish." Good I joke. Don't remember. It's a good record. Uh, Gene Hackman, Royal Tenenbaums, Ian McKellen in X Men, Robin Williams in The Birdcage, uh, and others. Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. She's great. And I, you know, anyway. Italians uh, and Jews are, are pretty close. They're kind of synonymous on screen. Yeah. Felicity Huffman in Transamerica, which I have not seen that film, so I don't know. Felicity Huffman. Canceled. Got a lot of baggage now. <laughs> <laughs> canceled. Hard canceled. Uh, and then uh, Jim Caviezel in The Passion of the Christ. 
Oh, that's a oh, Jew. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Jewish. guys> <laughs> but to get back to Lee Schreiber, I do oh, think that. Sorry, Toby. I, I, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't care about like your thoughts. Well. What are your know, thoughts? You have so okay. many thoughts on Liev. I just think he's phenomenal in this, and I think he's really understated. And and there are these moments where I think later on in the movie, one of them says, "He like you know, Daddy's such a square," you know, and like there are moments where before you kind of realize who he is, that he does quote unquote square things where it, they're a little cringeworthy initially, and then you get to know him and you understand him, and you see that he's just boxed into this life as much as she has, as she is. Um, and then at the end, he's trying. He's making an effort. Yeah, and that scene on the porch at the end is adorable. Shockingly good. Oh my good. god! Yeah, a shockingly good way to end this. Like movie. It, yeah. when it happened, I was like, "Fuck!" Like they really, they really nail it. That's the thing. I feel like <laughs> Tony Goldwyn's heart was in this. Like, yeah, I agree. and he actually he did a second movie with the same screenwriter. Hmm. Um, but I guess it's telling that I can't remember what it was. Um, this screenwriter did another film in '99 that we were not. Really big fans of. She did a bad movie in '99. Yeah, Music, Music of, of the, the Heart. Heart. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there's a million. Which times we, which we actually movie. we did talk about this on Music of the Heart when we yeah. talked about her a little bit. I wasn't looking forward to this at all because I'd yeah. never heard of it, and I think the title's lame. But I also think the title is um, extremely ambitious. In that, it, I mean, it, it, the, the title sets up an ambitious movie. Walk on the Moon has to look great. You know, it mm-hmm. has to f- – and that plus the poster mm-hmm. with Diane Lane and Viggo Mortensen laying down in tall grass. It's a gorgeous poster. This movie promises at least a beautiful visual experience. Uh, and I think it delivers. I think it delivers too. Mm. Um, I'm going to do the synopsis mm-hmm. of Walk on the Moon for the people who have not seen Five Walk hours the into the podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Third yeah. read. This is nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, unfulfilled housewife Pearl Kantrowitz. Yes. As, just, as if you didn't go to three camp, camp with three Cantrowitzes. It's true. Uh, played by Diane Lane, suffers in quiet misery as the tumultuous events of the summer of 1969 unfold on the surface of her television screen. But when Cantrowitz invites hunky traveling salesman Walker Jerome, played by Vigo Mortison, into the safety of her living room for the live broadcast of the historic moon landing, they begin a passionate affair that threatens to destroy her marriage to her straight-laced high school sweetheart, Marty, played by Leap Sharp. Not really a high school sweetheart, but okay. Also, yeah. he was never in the living room, but I, Yeah, I, I've... So what I do is I Google, I just literally cut and paste the synopsis out of Google and I don't mm-hmm. read it beforehand because more times than not, they are really strange and it's like they were written by a robot. It's fun. Yeah. So it's, this, a, it's yeah. a fun little recurring bit a, that yeah. we have. I think it's, yeah. I think that, uh, I think the, the worst thing in this movie by far is not only Vigo's character's name, but the, does he know his name is backwards yeah, joke? It's a bad joke. Okay. That's it. That's all. Uh, Walk on the Moon uh, opened on March 26, 1999, in 27th place. It was platformed uh, against Ed TV, The Mod Squad, and Doug's first movie. So that's a great weekend. Yeah, Murder's Rope. Murder's Rope. <laughs> uh, it would go on to make $4.7 million on a $14 million budget. A Walk on the Moon has 72% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 71% from audiences. So I'm going to read a little bit of Ebert's review here because I think that he taps into something that, and it, and it folds back into the leave of it all. Sure. Um, the movie is. Did we call him Leave? It was Lev? I call him Lev. Sorry. Lev Schreiber. The movie is a memory of a time and a place now largely gone. These days, Pearl and Marty would have been more likely to take the family to Disney World or Hawaii. It evokes the heady feelings of 1969 when rock was mistaken for revolution. To be near Woodstock in heat 
and in heat with a long-haired god, but not to be able to go there. But the movie has thoughts about the nature of freedom and responsibility. Do you think you're the only one whose dreams didn't come true, asked Marty, whose marriage meant he became a TV repairman instead of a college graduate. So the underlying strength of story is there. Unfortunately, the casting and some of the romantic scenes sabotage it. Liev Schreiber is a good actor, and I've admired him in many movies, but to put him beside Viggo Mortensen and the blouse man wins every time. You can hardly blame Pearl for surrendering. The movie's problem is that it loads the casting in a way that it tilts the movie in the direction of a harlequin romance. Mortensen looks more like one of those long-haired, bare-chested, muscular buccaneers on the cover of paperbacks. All he needs is a gothic tower behind him, one uh, with one light in the window. The movie exhibits almost unseemly haste in speeding Pearl and the Blessman towards lovemaking and then lingers over their sex scenes as if they were an end in themselves and not a transgression in a larger story. As Pearl and the Blessman cavort naked under a waterfall, the movie forgets its ethical questions and becomes soft-core lust. I will. I disagree with Mr. Yes. Ebert as far as the Liev casting. Yeah, I that's w- the whole fucking point. point. I agree. I, I agree. Oh, I, what did he give it ultimately? Two stars. So out of four. Um, I think that he's tapping into something that uh, I think this movie. It seems like again, I've only really heard of this movie since we started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this movie has fallen into a bucket uh, that it's not in, and that's the like illicit. Sex movie bucket, right? I like agree. if it's it was number nine on Entertainment Weekly. It's a sex 50, movie, and it's not a sex. movie. It's treated like, or it's treated like a sex movie. Yeah. Remembered like a sex movie, yeah. and it's not a sex movie. No. no, and in fact, those sex scenes have to be incredible. They have to be to justify the to whole justify thing. the whole thing. You, it should the, the entire Vigo. The entire Vigo tangent, I don't really want to call it a tangent. The entire Vigo subplot, right? The entire Vigo, it's like a life tangent for Diane Lane's character, for Pearl. Has to be incredibly appealing. Seductive. You have to understand why she would even consider wanting that life and putting it over her family. So I think I think he's focusing, and I think entertainment weekly, I think the people who like this movie or people who hate this movie, I think everyone's focusing on the wrong things. The heart of this movie is with Pearl. And Liev Schreiber's character, who I don't know his name, Marty. Pearl and Marty, name of everybody's grandparents. Um, and I think that's really powerful and really strong. I, I, I mean, I would agree. I, I think that – I think Ebert's being too harsh. But I do think he's tapping into something. There, there is a, a slight weakness in the film in terms of how quickly they do hook up. There mm-hmm. is something – it is sped up a little bit too much. Or I would I would argue that – it's not so much the speed as it is maybe the richness of the scenes prior to their lovemaking. Like I think saying that, they are not rich enough. That is my point. I think I, that I think that is the point of the movie. That that okay, fair enough. I, I I think that for me, everything you guys are saying, I agree with as well. I think that Diane Lane is great in this film. I think that the character of Pearl is very well written. I think that she has this feeling of a younger woman trapped in the body of a woman who has a lot of responsibilities, who has to, who's raised these kids, who is on the precipice of a page turning and feeling as though her youth is slipping away from her. And, and, you know, she didn't get to do the things she wanted to do. And Woodstock is bringing, like, all of this stuff is being brought to the surface, which I completely agree with. You know how old this character is supposed to be? 20 something? 31. Okay. 31. I mean, today, those are the people that like go to Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My favorite, I I don't know what this says about me, but lately I've been completely obsessed with figuring out how old people were when they made movies compared to like the characters characters or whatever. Um, My favorite thing about this one, um, so Leah was 32, Diane was 34, Vigo was 41. 
Vigo is secretly old. Vigo, like, yeah, no, he is. Oh, like, he's he's in his sixties. This is the now. best part. Tova Felcha, who um, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think I am. Felcha, yeah, yeah, um, who plays Marty's Mom. mother. Forty-seven. She's six years older than Vigo. In the most Jewish, <laughs> in the most Jewish twist in podcast history. Oh shit! Tova Felcha is friends with my mother. <laughs> Will you please give and, her like the biggest hug? And I, I've I've known Tova. I've known Tova for like twenty-five really? years. Really? Yeah, at least she's she's actually her father. Sorry, her husband and my father used to do business together. And Tova and my mom became friends. And Tova is like been kind of on the outskirts of my life forever. She's That's phenomenal so, in everything. So she's an amazing actress. I mean, she's really more of a stage actress. And well, she played a New York actress. So yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, she's on Law and Order all the time. That stuff. Well, she but, did Golda. Yes, yeah. exactly. She did Golda <laughs> and she was Yentl. And is she, she um, Rachel Bloom's mom on uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Am I making that up? Uh, she might be. She, <laughs> I actually think she is. I think yeah. she is. Yeah. She was on they Walking Dead. got her for I mean, season one. I think she yeah, is. I think, yeah. she, I think she was in season one, yeah. Um, yeah, Tova's in all sorts of shit. She comes up all the time. She's in Kissing <laughs> Jessica Stein, like She's, playing the exact same role. I love and, Kissing Jessica Stein. I haven't seen it since it's an amazing it came out, movie. but I think it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. it is. I, I would argue that again. Tova is, if not the best thing in this movie, like very close to it. I think she, She's I, really bringing I, it. I truly think there are three and a half really, th- three and two halves really great performances. I think the three leads that we've been talking about are great. I think mm-hmm. Vigo is great, but. Doing what he needs to do. I think Anna Paquin's better than you guys think she is. I liked her in it. Her accent's weird, but I still enjoyed it. The accent bothered me. Also, it's Academy Award winner. Yeah, of course. Excuse me. (laughs) It's true. She already has an Oscar. I would also say that that Tova um, has a very – she's maybe got the trickiest role because she has to rat her out. And it's also her daughter-in-law, and right. they have she, a really yeah. nice relationship. They have a really nice relationship, mm-hmm. and, and and you know she susses out what's going on, and she mm-hmm. tells her just like she is the real linchpin of of plot mechanics, which which could have made her seem awful. But she could have come off as a shrew. She and could she, have been but she's great. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No. She's I agree lovely. With that. Yeah. Um, so uh, Peter Travers really liked this film. I'm going to read a, just a brief. Uh, bit from his Rolling Stone review where he says, A Walk on the Moon follows the same pattern as Kenny's favorite film, Forces of Nature, by matching up a square with a free... Sp- <laughs> Sorry for those of you who couldn't see my lips there. I do, said, do you like Forces of Nature? I enjoy that film. I enjoyed it, is, it too. It Kenny a did not. terrible film. Yeah, no, no. I don't there think you it's go. a good I movie. press play very often. <laughs> As long as long Can as I just you go into a t-shirt, a, I press play very often. <laughs> as long as you go movie. into it with rock bottom expectations, they may be exceeded. <laughs> They may not be. If you turn your brain off and just like not think about how – this is, uh, my point is, Forces of Nature <laughs> by matching up a square with the free spirit, but this time the relationship rings true. It's the summer of 69, the time of the Apollo moon walk, uh, political protests, and revolutions in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They would peak at Woodstock. Working from a sharply observed script by Pamela Gray, actor-turned-director Tony Goldwyn, and co-producer Dustin Hoffman wisely keep the family story front and center. Yeah, I'm sure Dustin Hoffman had a ton to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he was even, I didn't know he was even involved. Uh, whenever the drama drifts into soap Come opera. On, Travers. <laughs> whenever the drama drifts into soap opera, the actors restore the balance in a terrific cast. Uh, Schreiber stands out as the husband who may lose the battle to save his marriage, but not for lack of trying. On the porch of their bungalow, Marty is the one who turns on the radio to lead his wife in a dance to music that catches the Woodstock spirit of change. The scene, like the film, is a haunting blend of humor and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, I think that's a fairer review. But I would also say that you know Peter Travers tends to he tends to stay a little superficial. So I think that Ebert's digging a little deeper, mm-hmm. um, but is maybe being a little more unfair. 
Oh, this movie is not perfect by any means, yeah, yeah. but I yeah. do think it achieves what it sets out to do. Absolutely. And I think it establishes a time and a place with beautifully with yeah. such uh, skill, but also heart, you know? I, I <clears throat> this is going to sound, I'm going to sound like just contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Uh, but I, but I promise that's not what I'm, that's not how I'm feeling. I, I think this movie is like, I think this movie aimed to do something it did perfectly. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I think it really hit its mark. My only issue with this movie is it's a very it, it doesn't have the ambition um thematically or uh structurally or or with kind of its um its plot mechanics that movies I love have, right? There is no there's almost no subtext in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's all on the surface. And in that respect, like, it's very hard to say this is a great movie. It's not really speaking to anything greater than what you see on the screen. That said, like, I think it nails it. I think it really, really nails what it's trying to do. I, I mean, you, you mentioned um, something about how, like, how it does the, the period elements of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's maybe one of its greatest strengths, for, for me anyway. I want to talk about that, too. Is that it doesn't rub your face in period. Like, a lot of movies are... I mean, look at look at what we're doing with the period. Like, look at how impressive it is that, you know, that we've got all these various, I don't know, accoutrement that make it seem like period. Mm-hmm. This movie just feels lived in. It doesn't feel like it's it's trying too hard to be a 1969 movie, which, I mean, the movie that comes to mind is Forrest Gump, a movie that a lot of oh, people love. No, I'm kidding. It's Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's Forrest Gump. I get why people love Forrest Gump. I, 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 have, I have a love for it, but I also kind of don't love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that movie is trying so hard to be like a baby boomer movie that they can watch it and they can go through the, all the various sort of moments in, in there, you know, that, that baby boomers can go through. This movie doesn't feel like that. This movie wants to sort of find a little niche for itself. It finds a slice of life, mm-hmm. finds real people, and it feels very genuine. It yeah. feels more like a personal movie. It yes. feels quieter. And I feel like it's the nuances towards the end, especially in a couple of the different conversations that really, like in the middle, there are a couple moments where I'm like, okay, okay, let's go, let's go. And then by the end, I'm 100% in. So uh, on the period piece part that we're talking about, Mm -hmm. there's something that kind of struck me right away. I mean, two things. One is um, the difference between how movies present this 50s, 60s, and 70s. And it's to me, it's always this, um, and I'm talking about pre-Mad Men. It's always this, uh, nostalgia for a time gone, but nostalgia, like really, like uh, like like oh, a, a yearning, warm yearning. Mm-hmm. Back when things were great, when we make period pieces today about the eighties and nineties, it was like, and sometimes the seventies, which is kind of in the middle. It's like, look how fucked up everything was. Yeah. Look at the downfall of society. Like, mm-hmm. or if making we had, fun of it. Yeah, if we yeah. making fun of it, or if we had fun, it was despite what was going yeah. on in the world. Because we grew up on those other movies. Because we grew up on those <laughs> other movies. Yeah. So I, I do wonder kind of what happened to our memories. Like what happened yeah. to like our collective memories um, that we kind of looked down on the past, whereas our parents revered the past. Mm. So there's that element. And then two, the other thing that struck me is Mad Men. How Mad Men treats their treat treats the sixties like no, this was all a lie. Like everything you know about the sixties mm-hmm. was a lie. It was super fucked up. 
people were terrible to each other. We were a bunch of racists. We were a bunch of, you know, psychotic capitalists. People didn't care about, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is wonderful, obviously, you know, but I do think, (laughs) but I do think there's a, a pretty wide opening for people to make movies about the 80s and 90s that are nostalgic. You know, Boyhood kind of does it in its own weird way. Almost not on purpose. Yeah, just by osmosis. Yeah, yeah by the, yeah. the fact that they were making a, you know, a present day set movie and then it kind of yeah. came out in pre- period. But. but I think the movies that achieve what you're talking about are the ones that are set in a decade, but not just about being set in the decade. So I'm, I don't know, like... Yeah, yeah that are about a, a love story that happens to take place. Or just in, about uh, something else that... Uh, that is placed within that world. And so the world takes a backseat to the actual story. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, I mean, just I to the point, I, I, I do wonder why we as a generation, wherever we kind of sit in that millennial Gen X divide, seems to hate the 80s and the 90s. I mean, we, we mock them. We think they're. We do. I, I don't know. There's, there is. I, I feel like right now anyway, or at least probably over the last five to seven years, there is a love for the aesthetic of the 80s. There's a Always. love for 80s movie, movies and music. There's that nostalgia factor. In and the, the 90s. 90s are now yeah. definitely becoming far more prevalent as well. So I, I feel like there is a, a nostalgic love for elements of it, but we also just, I don't know, there's a jadedness. You'd never have a, that, You'd never have a movie like this, Walk on the Moon, that doesn't have a – Side-eyed commentary yeah. on how silly everything was or how um, cynical everything – everybody was or whatever it is really. Yeah. But um, – No, that's fair. Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I, I do – there's but, a cynicism to our generation yeah. that I don't know if it's – I mean I, I hate to get political, but I don't know if it's a September 11th thing. I don't know if like everything sort of changed then. I don't know if we, but there's something about the lens with which we look backwards now. I think we that try. is either really, really rose-colored glasses, like a Stranger Things or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, wasn't it great when everything was sort of like the Spielberg of it all? Right. That's re- that to me. That's remembering a different thing. To okay. me, that's that's literally remembering how great Spielberg movies were, or, yeah, or John Carpenter or Stephen King or like, any number of other things. That, that to me that is like Stranger Things is very simple. Like, wouldn't it be great if we all all lived in a Spielberg movie, <laughs> you know, like that was yeah. really eight awesome. Eight millimeter was yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not eight, eight millimeter. Eight millimeter, <laughs> super eight though. Eight millimeter was not the same thing. But um, yeah, yeah, they. That, I think Stranger Things is better than Super Eight. I think Stranger oh, Things succeeds at only at one that, is Kyle Chandler, but yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I agree with you all, both <laughs> on all of that. Um, but I think like I look at like mid nineties. I don't know if you saw that came out no. this year. Mid nineties. I think in some way it's supposed to be a love letter to the 90s, but yeah. it's also very clearly about all the fucked up shit that was happening in the 90s, you know, and all the fucked up shit that started in the 90s that have ca- that's carried over to today and how fucked up we still are. I don't think that movie's great, but I do think it's a pretty good example of the way we look back at the 90s. These days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I, I have not seen it, so I can't speak to mid-90s, um, but I do think that when I saw that trailer, I did think, well, well, now we're going to see more 90s stuff. 100%. I think that, which makes sense. It's been 20 years. I mean, I get it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the nostalgia wave that we're sort of in right now. I can't help but be kind of wa- – I will watch Stranger Things even though I have issues with Stranger Things because I just want to be in that world. Like mm-hmm. I want to hang out with those kids and I want to, mm-hmm. I want to just be in that world. Um, but I don't know if that's enough. 
Did we all hate mm-hmm. our childhood childhood so much that all we remember is watching the Spielberg movies we wished were our childhoods? Can I tell you, I was that's interesting. I was watching part of Goonies the other day, and I kind of had that conversation with myself. Yeah, um, where it was like, was this actually what it was like? Was it was it wholesome? Was it warm? Was it was it like that for anybody? Right. Mm. Or was this just what I remember because I this is what I associate with the eighties? I rode a bike. I rode a bike alone. Did it fly? Didn't fly. <laughs> no, like I, I liked this. <laughs> you couldn't see it, everybody, but Toby pointed like ET. I don't think I ever rode a bike with my friends anywhere. I rode a bike around my neighborhood, two places. Right. Right. And I none of this and and none of the Spielbergian stuff yeah. ever happened in my life. I always wished it would. I wish that well, I wish I was like the ET gang. But. Do we think that this is more emblematic? And uh, this might be nothing, but I, I do wonder if it has a lot more to do with we were the first generation to really we were the blockbuster generation. Mm-hmm. We were the first generation to see movies and television uh, to be inundated with it and video games on a level that no generation had been previous. Yes. So I think that part of it became what we remember from our childhoods is watching things. Hundred percent. Yes. So that's that. It's that like the internet me, with the next generation. It feels that way. That's right? why I think mm-hmm. um, the movie Ready Player One is better than everyone else thinks. I I, I, I watched that it. on a flight recently, and I enjoyed it. I think it's. I, I think I, it really I, speaks to the way our generation remembers life. I, I uh, in a very very dark. Like I don't know yeah. how dark the book was. I know people like kind of revere that book, but I think the book is actually like this is like this is our lives, guys. How great mm-hmm. is yeah. this? Maybe the movie's like. This is your lives. There is something I, – I read the book. I liked the book fine. The book kind of got the shit kicked out of it a little bit because it had some some trans issues mixed into it just in terms of how it depicted some stuff in there. And the movie does not do that obviously. But I do think that the movie, I think – People just either the expectations were too high, or the book was starting to people were starting to turn I on the book, and all that stuff mixed into it. They weren't able to, I think, see the movie clearly. And now, I, I think it's a really fun film. I think it's, I think it's got a lot I of really think, great stuff in it. I, there are also some issues from the book that I think are really kind of interesting from a cultural standpoint, which is almost every single one of the references in that book yeah. are pieces of art from white men, right? Yeah, like almost every one of them. Um. And it's interesting to me because I think there's this idea that Ernest Klein should have included other pieces, other works from people who weren't white men. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think it speaks to exactly who Ernest Klein was, yeah. and that's the problem. I agree. Right? The, also, that was most likely the art that people had access to. It, totally. Yeah. And it, 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 I think that I think the the kind of world of Ready Player One speaks to a much bigger problem that I'm not sure Ernest Klein understands, or or he I'm sure he understands it now. I don't think he understood it when he wrote it, right? I think I think I'm sure now he's like, "Fuck, was I living in a bubble? <laughs> I guess I was." Yeah. But um, but yeah, I think that kind of illuminated that issue yeah. a little more too. So yeah, well, it's, which is uh, yeah. a failing of the book, but it is kind of an kind of an interesting cultural. Well, um, Touchstone. It, it's what's interesting about what you're saying um, in in regards to a walk on the moon. Also has to do with the fact that there's really no infusion of popular culture in this world. Woodstock is this huge sort of lightning rod moment where music is obviously, and people that are making this music are trying to break through the it's political ca- it's noise. Counterculture, right? Yeah, but that's, that's, that's the whole end of the movie. Sure, popular culture is like Bobby Darren, right? right? Mm-hmm. But, and that's that's coming. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's they're they're hurtling towards you know 
the end of Vietnam eventually and, and Nixon and all that sort of shit. But ultimately I think what's interesting about the film and what's very kind of freeing for us when we watch films about this period is how quote unquote free these people felt Mm -hmm. free from the internet, free from pop culture, free from the things that feel very pervasive. It's wonderful. And it, it, it does feel very sort of like, look at these people, man. It was like, there was a blouse fan and there was like, you know, they're just, they're, they're they're, the most exciting part of the day. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're reading books they're, they're you know what I mean? Mahjong. They're playing, <laughs> but I, I think there's, I, I don't know. It, 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 they're going to see a stand-up comedian. They're going to dances. They're interacting with each other in a way that that we're we're just so not to be that millionth and a half person to talk about this, but like we're so disconnected from each other now. It it, it really is interesting how this was the beginning of that. We there was, sure. oh, I'm sorry. No, no, sorry. there was a socialization there, a sense of community yes. for sure that Absolutely. you don't see. People, yeah, people just, I mean, the, at the beginning of the film when she's sitting around that table with her friends yeah. and you're just like, I'm not saying that we don't hang out with our friends anymore, but there is something very sort of like that was a highlight of their day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, I speaking of that that moment, I like watched the whole movie and then for whatever reason, I, I kind of happened to watch the beginning again. Mm. Um, I know the reason. It's because I was watching it on Apple and I had to stop it and it went back to the beginning. So I saw a little bit of it. I was kind of Mm -hmm. transfixed a little bit again before I Mm -hmm. fast forwarded to the end. And Diane Lane's transformation, if you, it's kind of hard to see because it's so subtle throughout the movie. But if you look at her at the end of this movie and the beginning of this movie, it's like two different people. 100%. She is incredible. So I want to talk about two things with her. Obviously her performance. I also want to talk about why she always, Gets cast and accepts roles as an adulterer. As an adult, an adulterer. I counted four movies where she's played an adulterer. I'm looking up her career right now. Uh, I think I know them. Obviously, Unfaithful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Knights in Rodan. Rodanthi. Rodanth. Knights in Rodanthu. Um, <laughs> and then a movie called, I believe, Paris Can Wait, um, mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I called her the adulterer. The adulterer queen. I hate that word. It's like rural juror, adulterer. <laughs> Paris Can Wait is the fourth um, the fourth movie where she plays an adulterer. Mm-hmm. And in all these movies, weirdly, it's not as if there are those situations where the husband is cheating first. Um, she is often cast as a trapped woman yeah. who is seduced by some gorgeous man, weirdly – once she is adult, she is cheating on Richard Gere, and another time she's cheating with Richard Gere. I think, but true, Valid. two sides um, of the coin. Who is a, who? Richard Gere, what a guy! Love Richard Gere. Uh, but Unfaithful is great. I'm so glad you said it because I wanted to bring it up, and I kept in my head calling it Unforgiven. I'm like that is I, not correct. I love Unfaithful too. Unfaithful, um, sexier movie. Than that this. is a hot movie. That's that a, is that's a, movie a sexier about movie than this. Sex. Yes. That's a movie about sex. That's well, right. that's Adrian Lyon, right? So. Um, but yeah, I think why? I think. What is it about her? Well, I have I have a counter argument, but let's explore. Right, what this is first. it? The question is, what is it about her? Secondly, um, why does she always do these movies? Mm-hmm. And third. Um, how is she so fucking good at them? Because it's so it's so yeah. underrated. You know, look the way I look at like uh, the the best actor, best supporting actor conversation. Uh-huh. Right? People uh, people worry about screen time. Yeah. Like, oh, they had a lot of screen time where they were about the title or or anything like that. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's very simple. Is it a point of view character or is it not a point of view character? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
That's why, like, in Fargo, for instance, you know, I think Frances McDormand was a Best Actress nomination, even though she has less screen time than William H. Macy, because that's our point of view character. That's the character we're supposed to be mm-hmm. – be, um, be sympathizing with, and that's the character with whom we're supposed to uh, identify. Yeah. She also is the the plot. I mean, she's the counter to – I mean – Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so to, to that point, how incredibly difficult is it for you as an actor to get audiences to identify with you as you are cheating on your uh, spouse, who, who, who in this case at least has done nothing to deserve it? I will say something that is likely attractive about those roles is that she is in control of her character. She has mm-hmm. the power and the upper hand. She's Nothing's happening to her. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, sure. for that reason, yeah, that's more interesting than being the victim of your husband's affair. It's incredibly interesting. But you're right. To your point, the fact that she's able to take the quote-unquote bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and turn it into someone either likable or that you can at least empathize with is an achievement that people, because it's so subtle, people don't think about. She is she is really, really good in this movie. She should have, I mean, I, I, I would say it's, you know, top 10 female performances of 99. We haven't seen a few of them, but the person who was nominated for a Pamela Gray screenplay this year, yeah. Meryl Streep in Music of the Heart, yeah. she's a billion times better than Meryl Streep. I mean, I, it's a significantly more interesting role, yeah. but like she's asked to do so much more. Yeah. She's. I think she's incredible. I, in this I movie. fully, fully agree with you. I think yeah. she's. I think she's really, really good in this film. I think that she's. And to your point, it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. The changes in the character are quite subtle. But you're asking. You're you're asking your audience to go on a journey with this woman. She's doing something morally questionable. It's very hard to do. She's very, very hard. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. She. I mean, I've always liked Diane Lane. I'm like looking at her credits, and and she hasn't done as much as maybe I would have liked in right. terms of like. She seems to have been sort of maybe boxed into roles like this. Has she ever? Has she ever? Had, I mean, short of Martha Kent, which is another stupid thing. <laughs> has she ever had fun in a movie? Like, I feel like she's under so the often, Tuscan Sun. I was just going to say, but she was cheated on in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so, so domestic. It's, and, but it's the opposite of all these uh, other ones where yeah. she was victim of her husband's affair. Yeah. I will say my pro- probably beyond like the outsiders, my probably my favorite outsiders yeah. role of hers is in Indian Summer, which is which is oh, reminiscent of this movie. movie. Hey, Jewish Summer Jewish Camp. Summer I kept thinking of that movie too. She's really good in that. She's too. fantastic yeah. in that. Of course, she's a widow in it, but she finds. Her center again. Indian and Summer does have fun. Indian Summer is the exact kind of movie that uh, I think of when I think they don't make movies like that anymore. A hundred percent. So two things. First of all, Indian Summer is about the rival camp to my camp. So I immediately have like a little bit of a. I don't. I love Indian Summer. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, there's a little bit of you, like I feel you know? you're wrong though. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, get what, I get what you're saying there, dude. I totally but you're get wrong. That, yeah. But you're wrong. If there was a movie uh, about Winaki. I would hate it. <laughs> you understand. <laughs> but then on your point about they don't make movies like that anymore, I'm going to say they don't make movies like A Walk on the Moon because I'm watching that scene when they're all around the table and uh, at the beginning when she's all with her friends and yes. they're chatting. And I'm thinking about Mermaids, How to Make an American Quilt, Fried mm-hmm. Green Tomatoes, Steel Magnolias. Boys on the Side Boys even. on the Side. Yeah. None of those movies are made anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, this falls into the category of they only make movies that are under $20 million or over $150 million mm-hmm. and that there's just nothing in between anymore. But this this genre, 
along with, you know, romantic comedies and teen movies seems to have also died, uh, uh, sort of, you know, and that, that, that's unfortunate. Um, or, or, or fall into Netflix into the yeah. abyss that no one will ever see it, but yeah, we can make them. I feel like rom-coms are coming back. On Netflix or out in the world? Is there a difference anymore? Oh boy, we're we think there discussion. is. <laughs> okay, that's fine. No, no, no. I mean, I, I there isn't a difference for, in my opinion, for not, the viewer, for creators. There's no difference. Okay, um, a little difference, but I personally could care less for my stuff is exhibited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the viewer, there's a big difference. I think like the experience, sure. I, yeah, but I think of like set it up, which I thought was a very nice movie. I don't think that movie would ever exist on a a, a, a theatrical theater. I see why theatrical yeah. screen. I think that, I guess, the romantic comedy with. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Big movie stars mm-hmm. feels to be a thing that's died. And I don't know if that's it's because fair. we don't have them anymore. I mean, movie stars aren't what they used to be. Mm-hmm. But it feels like we ha- there was a moment when it seemed like Reese Witherspoon was going to be sort of anointed. And then she was like, I don't really want to do that, mm-hmm. which totally understandable. Um, and I don't know who has sort of tried or wants to fill that void. I think Kate Hudson tried. We did our Kate Hudson well, uh, 200 cigarettes. We talked a little bit about her, but yeah, that we're, just We're never... trying to subvert it a little bit now. I mean, like Amy Schumer did it and did it well and it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, yep, well, it yep. made a lot of money. Emma Stone sort of kind of for a little bit Here there. Here and there. Yeah. I mean, Rebel Wilson just tried doing it. I don't know if that movie worked. And I know that I that's a subversion of the, mo- of the of the trope. But Dakota Johnson for a kind of for a second. I don't know sort if she of. could do I mean, we know, all know who killed the romantic comedy. It's obvious. Catherine Heigl killed the romantic comedy. <laughs> I mean, she 100%, I'm not kidding. Like, she yeah. killed a romantic comedy, and she she it, she didn't kill it, like, through an action. Like, she actually drove a stake into its heart. By just subpar scripts? And just no, like, the way she acted after Knocked Up. She basically was like, these are all beneath me. Like, this is- Instead of embracing the golden chariot, she tried to tip it over. It shouldn't have yeah. even been her, because, like- Of course. She's Katherine Heigl. But someone decided Katherine Heigl is the next person who's going to do this. And 27 Dresses is like a nice little movie. But sometimes you just need to move on to the next. And and she always she did. She always seemed like this was beneath her. Whereas, thank you, next. Yeah, thank you, next. The whereas, 28th dress that just eludes us. <laughs> whereas I really, you know, I love romantic comedies. So I do I. really mm-hmm. do. I think that yeah. a lot like Walk on the Moon, which is not a comedy – um, the structure's there. It's so easy to fill yeah. this. If you hit all the beats the way you're supposed to hit it, it's a very satisfying experience. 
Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just feel like Catherine Hyde would kind of look like every time she's in one of these movies, it's like, what am I doing here? Well, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I, I, I would argue that part of it also was the fact that she just wasn't the real deal. Like mm-hmm. it felt like she kept getting sort of, you know, C plus B minus scripts that your, your legitimate romantic lead, your Julia Roberts, your Sandra Bullock would just never even have considered doing. Right. And then those movies got made based on her stardom, quote unquote, at the time. Because Knocked Up did incredibly well, 27 did, Dresses did do well. Right. Oh, yeah. So there was this moment where it was like, it's going to be Catherine Heigl. And then to your point, a mixture of her not being the real deal, her also thinking that her shit didn't stink and that, right. you know, mixed into subpar scripts. Like all of that, I, I agree with you, sort of created this, oh, we don't want these anymore. And I don't think that's the case. I think we just, as an audience, expected more and wanted better romantic comedies. I also think we didn't know what we had when <laughs> Amy Adams made Leap Year. My roommate would thoroughly disagree, would thoroughly agree with you. She's I watched Leap Year so many times. Watch that movie. It's like visual Ativan for me at this point. <laughs> like if I if I don't feel like watching the Friday Night Lights pilot to calm down, I put on Leap <laughs> oh, that's Year. That's so great. It's first of all, Matthew Good is fantastic in everything, but it's just a very sweet movie, and it's actually very. I think it's very reminiscent of a lot of the screwballs. It's very – it follows the same mm-hmm. patterns as it happened one night. I don't know. It's Melissa, so- my roommate, I can't even tell you how many times I've come home to her watching that film. Um, it's also on all the time, it feels like. Like it feels like it's in always – In my house and I don't have cable. I literally have to <laughs> <I> own it. <laughs> it's just in the DVD player at all times. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I can't say that I've ever seen the film from beginning to end. I've seen bits clear. and pieces. You know, it's so weird. It's, <laughs> wow. It's, what's so weird Shame. about um, about you saying Amy Adams in Leap Year is this whole time I'm thinking Adam, Amy Adams in Enchanted of all things. A hundred percent. Like, the, I that really, too. the whole time, it would have been Amy Adams. She doesn't lean into her lightness. She, no. Well, I mean, like, and to, she some wants extent, more. to some extent, it's like, why would she do it when, like, She's getting offered the best roles of and course. also winning, you know, not winning, unfortunately, but also getting nominated for Oscars for them. So, like, I get it. But, like, Reese to her, uh, Reese also gets offered the best roles and also has time for a home again every time, every, every once in a while. So, I do think, like, I think Amy Adams would do fun movies. I, I, I think she, like, and, we, and this is going back to the Diane Lane thing. Why, why don't they ever let Diane Lane have fun? They'll let Amy Adams. Amy Adams will let herself have fun when she wins the Oscar. Like, there's a part of me that's just like, she's just, it's, it's eluded her. Well, that's the thing. Her Into the Woods, like Meryl's Into the Woods. Like, there, or Mary, yeah. in Mary Poppins Returns, or like, she'll let herself take the yeah. roles just because it's her friends or because it's silly and stupid and fun once she doesn't need to earn it anymore. I also think she had, I imagine she had fun in Vice. Yeah. Oh, and in um, American, American Hustle. Hustle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But of course, those are like you know the high quote unquote yeah. like 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 the highest brow version of yeah. fun. Of course. Um, I, I think will, I just hope she doesn't become Glenn Close and she's not doing the wife in like twenty years. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that would. I be hope the she case. does one hundred and one Dalmatians. I think I, she could be Julianne Moore though. Like I think she could be someone uh-huh. who who does. And Julianne Moore has fun from time to time too. Like she she'll used just, to. She does. I think she does sort of like weird things here and she there. She's in the Hunger that, Games, which I recently yeah. revisited. I forgot she was everyone who was in that Klein. movie, or everyone who's in the movie, are a bunch of people who love to have fun. Oh, they're chewing yeah. the scene. Yeah. Really. <laughs> they're just like <laughs> put this stupid like, costume oh, on me just, and just like I'll go she, for it. Elizabeth Banks deserved an Oscar for that. For Hunger for, Games? For, oh my God! If she might go win back, an Oscar one day. Uh, well, probably for writing. Um, or, or directing, directing. but I think yeah. she's phenomenal. Even like looking back at like Wet Hot American Summer, I mean, she's the a best. Forty Year Old Virgin. She's yeah. She's she might do. Though. She might do that thing where she wins an Oscar for a comedy. That's yeah. interesting. You know? Yeah. yeah. 
God, um, I love Elizabeth Banks. I do too. What a treasure. <laughs> what an American treasure. <laughs> oh my God, I just lost my train of thought and it was going to be brilliant. Uh, uh, we'll get back there. We'll find it. Maybe? No. Sure. I don't know. Something about Amy. Uh, I will say oh. this. Oh, go ahead. Do it. Do it. it. This is so it. important, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how Vogue does 93 questions? Yes. Do you know what that is? Yes. yes. Okay. So um, I guess I think on Apple TV they have like those little videos or whatever. So um, I was flipping through the other day and saw an Amy Adams one from like, I think it was from like 2013. I mean, like something, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'll watch this. And it was it was dumb. But um, <laughs> the one thing that made it completely worthwhile is – you know, they asked, like, what what song would you dance by yourself to in, like, the middle of your kitchen if nobody was there or whatever? And without missing a beat, I mean, I know she's prepared, but without <laughs> missing a beat, she says Dancing in Heaven, um, which is kind of the theme song to girl, the movie Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Okay. So that little nugget, that tells me that she is just dying to break out of her current path. There right, is this, sure. there is just, like, this fun... She's the real deal. Girl who just yeah. wants to have fun. Well, I mean, if you if you look at her in, in Drop to Gorgeous. Oh, she's so yeah. good. She's so good in that movie. She has a really, really sharp sense of humor. Like, she can kill comedy. You see it in Enchanted as well, obviously. It's hard. Which is that she can. It's such a stupid point. But it's like, it, it must be kind of hard being her, knowing that, like, she's. Probably the best actress alive. <laughs> um, She's and, up there and can literally do anything. Yeah. But, I but think no one will make down, leap year too. Deep down, I think she would love to make like a leap year every You'll year or an enchanted every year. And I think she feels like, well, I mean, who else? Who else is going to fucking do sharp objects as well as I am? You know, like <laughs> that's an amazing in, way of looking at it. In anybody yeah. in anybody else's hands, like it's. I can't. Believe, she didn't win for. She didn't win anything for that either, right? Didn't win anything. I will say this. I do think that. Um, do you think she's the best actress alive? Am I crazy? I think she's of her up generation, one hundred percent. I would need to look and see who's died and figure that. out. I mean, out. Yeah. I, 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 let's, I, I think let's you're hard pressed to beat your your Meryl Streep. Let's, and your let's, Kate ex- let's excuse right. the let's excuse the elders. The elders. Anybody uh, who's not where's the line? I mean, Kate Blanchett's what forty five. Yeah. Say Kate, the Kate Blanchett Julianne Moore generation. Let's say that's Amy the last Adams generation. is like forty three. I know that's what I'm trying to kind of get at. <laughs> she's she's in that crowd. This is stupid. She, here's what I'll say. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this too. I think that part of it as well is there is this. She wants to be taken seriously. She wants to win the awards. So she's you know she's taking. I mean, but I'll also say like Arrival is not a movie that I would have expected to see her in, and she's great in it. Mm-hmm. She has a there's an intellectualism to her. There's a Jodie Foster kind of quality to her a little bit in terms of that. Like she seems very smart. She could do anything. Mm-hmm. So it's just what it comes down. to. She can do anything. She but, could do anything in a way that Jessica Chastain just can't. Jessica yeah. Chastain could do Arrival, but she would never be good in Leap Year. And Jessica Chastain's not funny. Like no. she's just she she's she can't do comedy really. She might but be able Amy, to. Amy's comedy skills are honestly next level, Out of and control. she does not get a chance to flex them. Even in like Ricky Bobby, you know, yeah, like she's, she's really funny so that. I funny. forgot that she was yeah. in that. I will say this though, just to, to back to the sort of rom com of it all, and and also a walk on the moon in terms of being part of a genre that doesn't really exist anymore. Part of it, the the argument I get from people when I bring this up is. Marketing costs so much money. Launching a film into theaters costs so much money. Anywhere from 40 to $50 million, depending on what the film is. And to then spend that on a 
movie that only cost 30 or 40 million dollars and then to make back it's it's really just it's a business strategy right which is you spend 150 to 200 million dollars on a film because you know it's going to make a billion dollars you don't want to spend 40 or 80 on something that's going to make 150 million dollars i get it it's just really depressing it's wrong and, and it's, i mean and i it, understand yeah and it's it, because you're you, there is an audience there for it and you're not feeding that audience i just i you can't be surprised when your ticket you know, your, your audience numbers are going down. People aren't going to see as many movies, but you're raising your ticket prices in order to make up for the shortfall. It's just all sort of like, it's, it's just unfortunate. It's also cyclical because if they fed that audience, yeah. the audience would grow. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about the plot of Walking the Moon at an hour and 13 minutes. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, that, that that is a little a that's little, a little late for, little us. Late for us, but gonna, not that we're late. Gonna, we're we're usually usually around the hour point. All right, but this um, is basically as we mentioned the film, we also hit a lot of this stuff. We yeah. have hit a good chunk of it, but as we mentioned, the film opens with them packing up their stuff to go on this summer vacation to this uh, summer camp retreat, uh, Doctor Fogler's bungalows, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we have uh, Pearl, Marty, their daughter Allison, and their young son Danny. Um, and as we mentioned, we're seeing all these things getting all their belongings being put into this car, which I think really, you already feel like you know this family Mm -hmm. from sort of immediately. Um, and, uh, there's a moment in the car that I love when they're driving and Pearl and Allison share a look and, a moment where they enjoy each other's company for a second, and then Allison breaks it by rolling her eyes because she doesn't want to have this moment with her mom. Like right. she doesn't want to have this this she's bond because yeah. she's a teen and she's a brat and she's whatever. Yeah. But that in itself just speaks volumes about their relationship and where we're starting with them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a direction thing. Like I don't know if that's in your script. Maybe right. it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But that to me is just those are the moments that make the film really come to life. I think other scripts, other directors would breeze past that shit and just get them, get the plot going and get them there. Um, so I think that's a really lovely nuanced mm-hmm. moment. Um, Marty's forced to work away from home. Um, this really, was very common, though. I'm interrupting. This yeah. was very common for the families to go up for the summer and, and the, the fathers father to commute back, back sure. to the city for the week and then come up on the huh. weekend. I that do, was the way it worked. I do that now. My, par- my, my, my parents. parents. My wife and kids go to Chicago during the summer mm-hmm. for like three weeks because her whole family's there. And I'll go there on the weekends. It's just, it's, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to say that she can't go to Chicago? Sound like Marty right now. What are you going to do? <laughs> um, who knows what's going to happen? Oh, my God. How who s- knows what's going to happen? I, I, if she I, shows up with a new blouse, I would talk to her. I, well, that's, I mean, I haven't, blouse, I think man. we'll get into this more as, uh, as um, we get into the plot. But that fear of being cuckold, it's like, you know. I love my wife. She's not going to do it. But it's, it's 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 an omnipresent thing, I think, in a marriage, both in both ways. Mm-hmm. And when it happens on screen, um, it does like destroy me. You know, I always destroy Jason me. Clark. Yeah, the, I know that. <laughs> I said thank, to the start of this thank vulture God article. She's, thank God, I just she, saw that. thank yeah. God, my wife is in love with the cuckold. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, said that, I said it to Kenny. I was like, "This is for Laura." Yes, Jason Clark is my is my wife's number one, and he's as, lovely. In, he's wonderful. He's always. You mean in real life? You know? Oh God! If I knew him, would I be here with you guys? Come on. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> but uh, it feels like Diane Lane's always the cheater, and Jason, Jason Clark Clark's is always going to cheat. Yeah. yeah, and yet they're not co-stars in the. They should be in a rom com. <laughs> I hope they just done. about we did it. the eighties. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I think what's there's another thing here that I that I like, which is there's a really nice scene with Marty and Pearl where they're talking about Allison, and she's scared of Allison getting pregnant because. Pearl got pregnant when she was 17. Right. And again, like that, to get back to your ages thing, which I think is really interesting, like to think about how young a mom she is, right? And Mm -hmm. she's a teenager. So like there's this weird kind of Venn diagram going on of of fear and also being too close to each other's age in a weird way Mm -hmm. that that is not something you see very often. I mean, I guess it's Gilmore Girls, but it's – you don't see it that often right now. It's mm-hmm. not something that's explored that often, which I think is interesting. And Anna Paquin is 17 playing 14. Right. So, so she's also she's got literally a half bit, yeah. her age. Yeah. And on screen. Which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, these days, 31 and 17 aren't that different. I mean, she's 14. But 31, 31-year-olds today are kids. Yep. Um, 31 in 69, that was like midlife crisis time. So that's right. kind of interesting to me too. And I think Diane Lane is kind of one of the few – actors who can play both those things could essentially play person comfortable at Woodstock and mother at home with their kid with wasp wasp stings. Mm -hmm. Um, So then Pearl meets Walker, Viggo Mortensen, a blouse man uh, who sells women clothes from a sort of a mobile store. I think it was a van. It's literally the same bus from Captain Fantastic. I looked. (laughs) It's literally the same bus? Okay, no. But (laughs) What? I never saw Captain Fantastic. It, I heard it was good. In though. the pictures, it's a bus movie. it looks like it. It's a bus movie. Yeah, a couple of bus he movies. It's like a bus, bus Mosquito Coast. He lives on the bus. Yeah. It's a, and also every Woodstock movie is also a bus movie. Well, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they meet, they have immediate chemistry with the absence of Marty. Pearl is attracted to the new blouse man. Um, then Allison sees Ross Epstein, the most Jewish name, yeah. or one of them anyway, uh, at a movie screening. And then Pearl confronts Walker about giving. Candy to the kids, yeah, which is a red flag, but it was the 60s. It was also a piece of licorice. It's like a loose piece of candy. It was like a weird thing. I mean, yeah, but I mean, you don't (laughs) know. He could have had the bucket and they could have picked it out themselves. I'm a candy lover. I like the story that you've concocted. I don't know. I I like candy lover. I'll eat almost any candy. Yeah. Um, But like loose pieces of licorice, that's the kind of stuff I would throw out on Halloween, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, of course. Okay. Okay. That's it. Uh, I want to say one more thing yeah. about Ross Epstein. That's the weakest part of the movie for me. 100%. Their romance thing. Yeah. I understand that they felt like they had to do it, but they could have done it better. It's so funny that you say that and Roger Ebert thinks it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, he's a dummy. What is he now? Rest in peace. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. I'm I know. going full Trump. Trump. I'm going full Trump McCain on, uh, on, on Ebert. <laughs> I will say He was that horrible. I do think that um, – Ken Jong-un – not bad. It's the weakest part of the movie in terms of how it's executed. But I do think that generally speaking, I would have – there's a version of Allison's story that I would have liked to have seen. Me too. And, and I don't think that's explored in the film. A hundred percent because – It's I called mean, Dirty Dancing, right? It is. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> Accurate. Or Dirty Dancing to Havana Nights. <laughs> the only reason I want to go to Cuba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to reenact <laughs> Dirty Dancing too. <laughs> so, and maybe this is obvious, but, you know, in my mind, Pearl and Allison are going along the same journey. And in the end, Allison gets to keep her boy and Pearl has to let go. Right? Right. I think Allison basically says that to her. I'm the teenager. You're not. You, you had your chance, you and then she chance. says, actually, I didn't. Yeah. By the way, you were an accident. Yeah. It's all of that. Actually, you ruined it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever. Um, Walker I say that to my kids all the tra- time. <laughs> you know how fucking young I was when I heard you? 
So Walker, I don't say that uh, ever, kids. When you listen to this, eventually, <laughs> I never. I don't feel that way. Walker convinces Pearl to try on a tie dye T shirt, uh, and it's really cute. Mm-hmm. I love the tie dye T shirt scene. I love him biting off the tag. Oh, oh God, so yeah. good! It's Such oof. a that's a great moment. Yeah, like that. That again, like these are the things that make the movie pop and come to life for me. That mo- um, that actual him biting off the tag is the reason it was number nine on Entertainment <laughs> Weekly's top fifty. Well, her reaction. Her reaction. Too. She's just oh, like, whoa. Different, yeah. like different ways to kind of denote sexiness. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's all been done except biting off the tag on a shirt. Yeah. It's it's really great, and it sends a shiver through her basically. Oh, it's visceral for the viewer too. <laughs> or not? It is. It, is, it, is, it, it, it is. absolutely is. It it's, is. I swear to God, it's the sexiest part of the movie. It's probably. It, it is. Yeah. It is. Um, so then they go to this comedy show. The waterfall shit is forced. This that is like subtle, really sexy. Well, the buildup is the part that's the most enticing, anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene that I love coming up here, where Pearl asks Marty to experiment in the bedroom, basically. Oh yeah. And it it really just that's the stuff that makes that marriage feel three dimensional and real to mm-hmm. me, um, and it's why. I disagree with Ebert's depiction of these two relationships because I do think that there's a lot more to Pearl and Marty than he's giving credit to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this scene encapsulates that. I think that scene is, I mean, I mean this in the best possible way, almost unwatchable. <laughs> it's the, 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 the secondhand, yeah. it's not embarrassment, the secondhand like uncomfortable feeling. Oh, it's cringy. The, yeah. sec- the cringe, his so sincerity, though. his sweetness. and He comes off so sweet in it, yeah. And what it means to like be in a marriage and know that there is absolutely no way that you sexually can compete with a Vigo right. is a lot. For It's a lot for like, and I'm sure it goes both ways, but this sure. is what the movie is about. It's a lot for Amanda Andel, I think. Um, knowing, and, but that's kind of, to me, just it's not really what this movie is about. It's, it's, what the mar- it's what a marriage is about. You do have to give up certain things in a marriage. You mm-hmm. do have to give up the, the 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 idea of being with a guy like a like a Vigo, like a blouse man. That's what you're that that's what you're committing to in some sense for a greater for a bigger thing potentially. When you have kids, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yes, and also when you when you commit to another person like that. Yeah. Um, and you, I don't know. I I I think that I think that is one of the most important scenes in the movie. I agree. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tremendous, and it, and it's a it's it makes this movie stand out. A lot of movies wouldn't have that scene. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies would make would make Liev the the straw man and just completely so that's why I think that I think that Eber's being a little unfair. Uh Pearl gets stuck in the rain, Walker picks her up in the Captain Fantastic bus. Mm-hmm. Um then we have sort of a moment here where Allison gets potentially too much screen time where it's like she gets her period and she bumps into the the guy at the at the pharmacy and there's stuff there that I like mm-hmm. but to our point feels like it's sort of a little bit off the beaten path a little bit. I see you and I disagree. Disagree. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to raise him. Yeah, I was oh, like no, 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 no. it's going to go all in. Um because that scene, this is something I really wanted to talk about, and I was the curious. Scene? No, oh. the one where she gets her period. Yes. And I was curious if you guys oh, yeah, would well, even bring that up. <laughs> so We're not afraid yeah. of anything on I'm this podcast. Not, okay. The slap. Period, period blood? Um, mm, big deal. <laughs> let's talk about the slap. So in the movie, um, Allison gets her period. Her yes. mom's MIA, so she finds her grandmother who yes. lives with them and is close with her and whatever. Mm-hmm. She tells her her grandmother's you know, thrilled is this huge, huge milestone, mazel tough, and then she slaps her across the face. Allison's horrified. Um, this is an actual tradition. My mother did this to me. 
my mother, I mean, she's never laid a hand on us at all. I, <laughs> I'm telling you. I know. I'm, I'm here. I'm May, listening. May 1st, 1990, I walked into my mom's bedroom and like woke her up. I'm like, mom, can I talk to you? And she's like, eh, I'm sleeping. And I was like, <laughs> mom, I, I need a light bulb. There are more in the closet. And then finally I was like, God damn it. I was like, mom. A light bulb. I, I just needed her to come with me. Uh-huh. I didn't, you know, you didn't want lying, your dad to know. She was lying in bed with my father. Like I just didn't want to, you know. Yeah. And, with um, my Kermit. With my car. Yeah. And, um, and finally, I was like, mm, I was like, I think, I, as if I didn't know, I'm like, I think I got my period. She bolts up in bed and it's just the biggest zets, like, which is like, a, like, a, I mean, it didn't. Yeah. I was, I was horrified. But it, it wasn't like, it didn't hurt, 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 uh-huh. hurt. But I was just like. I'm hemorrhaging and about to die, and now you're slapping me across the face. What is happening? And then years, years. Yeah. Okay, so the thinking behind it, yes. which is fucking Meshuggah, the thinking behind it is it's to ward off evil spirits okay. that, that now like embody did you, know you or, or surround you. No, because and, and I don't think there's any this. chance my mom did this to my sister. No, most, any chance? Okay. Zero well, percent. Years chance. later, I asked. <laughs> years later, I asked my mom, and I was like, I'm well, I text I, her right now." I was like, "I assume that Grammy did this." To you, yeah. and she looked at me horrified. She was like, "My mother would never." And I was like, what "Then what the, the fuck, fuck are you fuck? doing?" Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that she did that to my sister. I don't know. It was, it's just one of these things where, like, I, I see that in the movie. So interesting. It's so fucking weird. It's so that weird. is some old country, like weird. Yeah, I don't even. know But what. I think, I think it was also kind of like my mom's friends had kids who were a few years older than me. So uh, like, I think maybe they all did this. And so she was like, Oh, this is what I do now. You know, really interesting. I'll, I'll tell you who it definitely didn't happen to my wife. Cause her mom is Catholic. <laughs> so she will not be doing it to Layla. She, oh God. No, <laughs> she, she, no, this is not she a, does it. That's it. She could go be with the blast man. <laughs> This is not like with the a quote-unquote normal thing, and I'm making yeah. my mom out to sound like no. this horrible no, person. She's just we love Gail. She's just a Jew. But this is this is just one just of those. A Jew. I think a big part of Judaism. The thing I love about Judaism is that you are taught to question why you do everything. Right. This was a moment when my mother did not do that. <laughs> She's just like, I guess I got to do this. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. That is a great thing about Judaism. That like the third holy book. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of people being like, these first two are kind of fucked. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's like revision mode. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's just a comment section. Yeah, it's just a comment section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then basically Marty's unable to be there because the, he's fixing TVs back in the city. The moon landing is happening. Allison has her first kiss with Ross. Pearl meets up with Walker. He makes his move on her. Damn, uh, Walker moves fast. Like Walker really just kind of – once she shows up at his bus, she's just like, I guess we're doing this. To be fair, she's a married woman who called him to see if he had fair plans enough. to watch fair the moon landing. She fair then enough. goes to his bus by herself at night. And it was like hours after the landing. They're waiting for the walk I'm saying on the moon. he's unjustified, just to be clear. I mean, it's... She's she's given all the signals. And he does ask for consent. He's like, do you want me to stop, Pearl? Yes. Okay, fair enough. He does. And, and to uh, the point from the beginning about Vigo's character, um, he's just a Jew's nightmare. That's... <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Oh, he's like the poster boy threat that you are warned about yes. in theater school. Yeah, yes. I mean, he's the a... The Well, there, I mean, there's, you know, th- there's a little parallel with broadcast news, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, like, Willem Dafoe is m- way more of a character than this. Also it's not cool. in the movie. You mean you is mean it? William Hurt? The other guy, William Hurt. <laughs> William Dafoe, that's a different movie. Handsome, <laughs> handsome, handsome or Willem Dafoe. <laughs> William Hurt is, is um, you know, more three-dimensional character as this, but he does represent that, like... That, that 
Connecticut. Goy threat. Yeah. That yeah. Goy threat that, that yeah. Jewish Albert Brooks feels over his, you know. Jewish Albert Brooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, over the object of his affection, not really his girlfriend in the same way. But Liev Schreiber, best in breed, um, still has to <laughs> still has to That's fear incredible. the Vigo. So knowing that the Vigo is out there, um, it doesn't really matter to me as as a viewer how quickly he moves because I'm in Liev's shoes. And I know he's moving fast. Um, yeah. Now that yeah. I now that it's all come out of my mouth, this does feel a little bit like the way white Southerners viewed black people in the South. Like they're just coming after your women. Hide your women. Hide your kids. A little bit like that. But <laughs> we're the oppressed minority in this situation. So, so here's a, here's a question I have for you guys. Kind I'm of gonna, uh, Samuel Goldwyn's <laughs> grandson. <laughs> Poor guy. Move past that. But here's here's my question to you. There is something there. Don't move past it. There is something there, right? There is something. I do there. feel a little no, bad just, about the, no, 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 the no. whole thing that I just put out there. Not the southern part, which I thought was pretty good. The uh, but just the way this movie views goys. Maybe that's not so great. That's the only one you see, though. That's kind of the point, right? Yeah, that's true. The only one you see is like the the guy who's going to steal your woman. The thing is, I will say that. Ernie's face. Mr. Steeler girl over there. The fact Mm -hmm. that he's not Jewish as a Jew, that's what I pick up on first. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's all of it. I mean, he's just, it's just a different lifestyle. He represents so much more than that. It's it's the freedom. He's a hippie. He's counterculture. He's never relaxed enough to be a hippie. I know. Well, to some extent. Yeah. A lot of Jewish hippies. She gets, she gets pretty, she gets there at Woodstock. Yes. I feel like so many of the big Jews were big hippies were Jews, like Bob Dylan. Yeah, you know, or like uh, All right, fair enough. Who's that guy with the name? I'll think that of guy. It. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I have a question, Abby. Uh, Abby Hoffman. Yes. We talked a little bit about this. Joan Baez was the, Jewish, right? Who? Joan Baez was Jewish. I think so. Yeah, most Jones are. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Except about, on Mad Men. I was going to say that too. <laughs> <laughs> Only Matt Wider would think you named that yeah. character Joan, but know, moving right? on. Yeah. Um, in the elevator on the way up, we talked a little bit about the title of this film, which apparently maybe originally was The Blouse Man. Is that – were we just kidding? Some ver- no, no. Some okay. version of this was called The, Bla- the Blouse because Man. Because A Walk on the Moon, as we said, a little generic, makes you think of A Walk to Remember, makes you think of Man on the Moon, also a 99 film. Uh, so there is that. But I-, I have to say that them having sex with – the moonwalk happening in the background, it's just a little too much. It's, it's just, very on it, the nose. It's very on the nose. It's, it's, it's a little cheesy. It all, it just feels. It's not the best. And you, you don't really need it. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? And I, I, so, or if you had changed the title, I might not have had as much of an issue with it. I actually think I would have liked it if it wasn't the name of the movie. Yeah. Because a lot of the plot is wrapped up in that. He yes. can't come up because he's fixing all the TV sets that yeah. everybody needs so they can watch the moonlight. Yeah. You know, all of that. The title just hangs too much of a lantern on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that – so it is what it is. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, that Pearl's not interested in Walker performing oral sex on her. She seems a little bit – a little bit sort of – Unsure about it as it's. As I don't it's think happening. it's uninterested. I think well, it's. Yeah. She doesn't Surprised. know what it, it is. Might be a step yeah, too far. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. This. Yeah. But it's just. It's. It's a moment that they don't make a big thing out of. Right. And just in terms of the blocking, you have to deduce what's going on for obvious he's reasons. Not bending down to tie your shoe. He's not. He's probably not. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> True. Um, but I just think it, it was an interesting moment that I noticed, and I was like, "Huh." That I think again highlights 
the lack of experience that this woman has and, and what she's going worldliness. through. His worldliness. His worldliness. What he's, you know what I mean? That he's interested in her pleasure as much as his. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that that I think is interesting. Um, we then get our, our infamous waterfall sex scene. Um, and Marty's mother, Lillian, puts together that she's sleeping with him. You're stripping the blouse, man. One of the best lines in the movie. She's so good in that scene. She's so good in it. It's really great. And she persuades Pearl to break it off. And Pearl essentially kind of does. But her tactic is very interesting, too. I mean, she basically, I mean, of course, she says, how could you do this? But she's talking to Pearl like a a daughter, not a daughter-in-law. And she's she's just kind of bringing her back to center, reminding her who Marty is and what she's fucking up at the moment. She doesn't want the marriage to be ruined either. No. 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 She she wants to save it too. Well, because she loves them both. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what's clear from Lillian is that this is not a and, – and, and when she does tell Marty about the affair, which is coming up, she's heartbroken to, to, to say that. She essentially says, you need to come back here. Yeah, she, that's the thing. She doesn't 100% explicitly right. tell him. She says, you got to come back here. And you can see that it's tearing her apart because she loves both of them. They, mm-hmm. She sees them both as her children, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is – Something a lot of movies wouldn't do. They'd make her the villain. Not only that, though, yeah. she they were both her children. They were 17. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She, yeah. Um, then we get to Woodstock, and as we mentioned earlier, the Woodstock stuff is really impressive. There's some really beautiful wide shots, and I was like, holy shit, how did they do that? They shot it over three days. I was reading up on it, and um, Tony Goldwyn was talking about how one day, um, you know. The shot that comes up? No, they were they had broken for lunch and like it was like downpour and he was like, "Well, there goes my movie. Like, what the hell are we gonna do?" And Your then, Woodstock had a downpour. It's true. Um, so did Woodstock ninety whatever ninety nine. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna cover that. We're gonna do that. Oh, it's gonna be fucking me. great. Ninety four was the real disaster. Or ninety nine yeah. was a disaster. I think one of them was mud. One of them was just like my a sister mud got like heat stroke at one of them. I mean, I one of them was like fire fire fest. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's gonna be great. The original fire But anyway, so like right when lunch was over, the rain stopped and the heavens opened up, and he said oh, it was wow. just like he, was like, he literally, literally like said God. he's like making movies is a miracle. He's like, <laughs> well, that's a perfect example of that, right? Yeah, because you're just like you can't control the elements in a situation like that. But I will say though, um, as impressive as I think a lot of it is, I got a little confused with the geography sometimes. Like At I, Woodstock? In that sequence. Mm-hmm. I yeah, found myself just sort true. of like, I'm, I don't really know where I am. I, I know I'm supposed to be watching Anna Paquin, watching her mom, but I don't understand really where she is geographically. Mm-hmm. Because I think, um, again, I'm speculating here, but um, they're mostly mediums and tights on those people yeah. because mm-hmm. they couldn't get wides. So you're just, you're a little bit, you're a little discombobulated. Again, like minor, minor detail. But you know. I kind of feel like you're supposed to be. It's supposed to be messy. Everybody there's on something. That's nobody, true too. Nobody's seeing clearly. And so the fact that you feel a little unmoored in that sequence. Works. Yeah. To its benefit. I, I would, I actually totally agree with you. You should feel a little bit unsure as to what's going on. So whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. But it, it is effective. I think the one thing that kind of bugged me about that scene mm-hmm. is how, uh, temperate it looked and i think anybody who spent time in the northeast in the middle of the summer knows that that is just a miserable experience <laughs> it would have been human shit yeah. yeah yeah and it would have been so uncomfortable yeah. for a 31 year old person to be there i would have been out of there so quickly oh it's but like i want to think about people going to coachella i'm hmm. like are you crazy i went once when i was in my early 20s really it was as painful an experience as i, I would never remember. I, I every year not every year i would say for a lot of years i looked at those coachella you know, lists of who's going to be there. And it killed me because I was like, I'd love to see these bands. I was like, I cannot imagine being out with an ocean of people all on drugs 
in the middle of the desert. It just sounds terrible. My no. my feet hurt so much. That's really what I remember. It's like an, it's, it's an experience I never want. This is to the most Jewish yeah. podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also we also we also um, we drove home after whatever. It was awesome. It was like I mean the music part was awesome. It was Cigarose was there. Sure. Um, we drove home after ever the headliner was. I think it was like the Pesh Mode, and uh, and we got so tired we literally slept on the side of the road. Of the car. <laughs> Like every, there was no one who was able That's to drive. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Can I dip yeah, in yeah. for a second? Um, one of the things you're talking about, how schwitzy it is up in, right. you know, <laughs> that area, that area during the summer. Um, that you were talking about Diane's kind of like slow um, metamorphosis throughout the movie. You see her hair. Her hair. Her hair gets frizzier, and then she learns to control her curls, and then she just goes with it. Her hair in the scene when she comes back and Liev is there. Yes. Oh. Somebody's wearing the army jacket. Yes. yes. Somebody gets it. Like little details like that. Yes. So, that's the thing I've noticed with this movie. The little things were so on point. No, which isn't always true. Yep. It's, it is, yeah. It, the, the look she has when she walks in, which is basically, essentially, uh, Allison sees her taking LSD at, at Woodstock. She comes back. She's wearing the army jacket. She's confronted by Marty in that scene. And it is, it's really amazing. How, just her physical presence when she walks into that scene. Mm-hmm. She is as a different person. She looks like she's coming in from another movie. I mean, yeah. she looks like a completely different person. But like I, she looks so good. Like, oh. And I don't just mean that she's beautiful, but like you can see someone who is so happy with the per- and re-energized, full, of, full life, yeah. of life. Like it's all just, and not in a in a cheesy way as well. Because mm-hmm. like that's the other thing about this movie, which is that in the wrong hands, it would have been very binary. Everything mm-hmm. this would have been just very clear cut. And mm-hmm. this movie embraces the messiness of it and embraces what. What it must have felt like for Pearl in, that, in these circumstances. I also in, want to say, the, all the stuff you're talking about, the, the look on her face, how happy or, or contented she is in that moment, all kind of feels like uh, a test drive for Unfaithful. Sure. And I'm really happy. That's interesting. Yeah, and I'm really happy she got an Oscar nomination for Unfaithful because um, – She did, didn't she? She did. Huh. And it's all for that train scene. Remember the train scene? Yeah. So, um, should rewatch Unfaithful. Yeah, and I think Unfaithful, truthfully, I think Unfaithful Faithful is a worse movie than this. Um, I think her performance is kind of more amazing in that, but it doesn't exist without this. Well, Unfaithful is really pulpy. This movie is not pulpy. Re- yeah. Really pulpy, and I don't love the way it ends. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, as I said, I think that, like, kind of, for me at least, the Unfaithful performance stands on the shoulders of this performance. And it For would, sure. It wouldn't exist without this. I don't think she necessarily would would be able to do what she did in Unfaithful without having first done this and test-driven dri- test those emotions, mm-hmm. seen them play out on screen and work, in my opinion, really well, and then have the guts to go as far as she went with the, the – kind of the pleasure pain of that mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. So, so basically mm-hmm. a walk on the moon – Walked so it is interesting right. that she it's a testament to her performance, obviously, that she's nominated for Unfaithful because Unfaithful is a movie that you wouldn't necessarily think sure, is. No. I mean, Glenn Close gets a nomination for Fatal Attraction as well, mm-hmm. so you know, but that was also one of the first that yes. elevated that, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. And and you know, again, Adrian Lyne, both he directed both films, um, but I, I think that yeah, to your point, Diane Lane needed this. For that to work, I don't think it would have worked nearly. I think as well she thought those. probably nights in Rodanth. Um, <laughs> by, by Nicholas Sparks. Rodanth yeah. was the one she was going to win for. 
That's a joke. She I'm might. totally kidding. There's no I way. I don't know. You can't think a Nicholas Sparks movie is going to get you an Oscar. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. No one's ever been nominated for a Nicholas Sparks movie. Not even no. The Notebook? No. Well, like, no. People have been nominated for like John Grisham movies. Yeah. The Firm. And The Client. Susan Sarandon. Did she get a nomination she for did? that? Yeah. No that's, Pelican Brief, though. That's great. No Pelican Brief. Um, can Pretty I say one more thing about please, yeah. Pearl's look? There's a scene before she before the moon landing where she is in her room and Allison's with her and she's trying on different outfits to wear because she she knows that she's going to see the Blast Man that night. And she puts on this one dress and she's like, oh, I don't know. And then she's like, oh, nobody ever liked this dress. And she throws it on mm-hmm. um, the bed. Jumping way ahead – her final scene with Walker when she mm-hmm. has she's wearing that. spoiler like decided to remain in her quote unquote old spoiler. life. She is wearing that dress. Her that's, hair is curly. That seems, but she's wearing that beautiful. dress. That yeah. scene makes the whole thing work for me. Yeah. Also, uh, she should have kept the jacket. It was great. Yes. Um, so I the know. movie hits. A, we're in an interesting part of the film for me because I think it gets messy here. And I respect the messiness, but mm-hmm. it also kind of trips over itself a little bit in some of the Marty stuff in terms of how he's dealing with. I agree with you. With with this revelation. So K- she. Kissing young hot Barbara Streisand was an interesting movie. It was weird. And Barbara Streisand, that, by the way, having issues. Did you read this stuff? Oh, my, not great. Uh, I didn't mean to bring not that Not a great up. look. No but, like, um, no. but I can't believe how much that girl looks, oh, like, looks a lot like young, young hot Barbara, Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 So that was a weird thing. And I understand, again, what. You I know, get the impulse. I get but the impulse. But I don't it, think it, it doesn't, tracks. It with doesn't this work. Character. Then he kidnaps his kids or tries to kidnap his which kids, which is heartbreaking. Which is heartbreaking, but also just like that. that I get. I, again, I understand. That's all, what I, I understand. <laughs> I understand the moves. I'm just not sure that it feels completely earned from Marty's character. They, it, there's some stuff feel, there that feel a little bit kind of like hairpin turns on a character. And again, I understand it intellectually, mm-hmm. emotionally when I was watching it or execution wise, as I was watching it, I found myself being like, I don't know if I buy this. I'm somewhere in between okay. because I mean, I obviously understand how he got from A to B, Yeah, but if you're watching him when he is driving home at night after just having spent what, like 13 hours in the car. Or yeah. yeah. Um, and he's crying and his nose is bloody from the punch he got for kissing Babs. Yeah. Um, he, I don't know. What he's doing with his face, I guess it's called acting. What he's doing with his face, <laughs> I understand when he just like pulls that huge U-turn and just speeds that, back. That I get. And that momentum lands in the That's scene fair. when he shows That's up fair. to grab the kids. He's desperate. He's like, what can I cling to from this life? Yeah. My children. I, I get I'll, all of that. I'll, I get all of that. I'll take it in just a little different direction. I, th- I think it all works fine, and I get it. I get why it's motivated. The only thing that you need is – to me, the best line from a cuckolded person ever, which is, for me, you no longer exist. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's the, like, that's it. You've won this it's confrontation. Yeah. She knows what she did. She mm-hmm. knows how you feel. And if you can do it, just go away at this point. Yeah. You know? Just go away. Let it sit. But he couldn't. It's Yeah. It's it's interesting. And all of this is sort of infused with or, or folded in with Allison has gone on a date with Ross. They're making out. She's frustrated or, or with, with her mother post seeing what she did at, at Woodstock. She wants to have sex with Ross. He says, no, I want to slow down. Um, <clears throat> and then she goes back and she has a confrontation with her mother in the bathroom. If That's I'm not my mistaken. favorite scene. It's a great scene. And it pays off all the Allison stuff mm-hmm. that, as we said, is fine it just maybe could have been better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
But it's a little obvious. It's a little obvious. Um, But it's, and so she lies to her mother about having sex with with Ross, Mm -hmm. which is her mother's worst nightmare. Which Mm -hmm. we kind of know she's lying. We definitely know she's lying. Yeah. Because we've seen her. Oh, we see her. We've already seen that. Yeah. But Pearl does not. But Pearl does not. So we can know. Which, uh, yeah, kind of cuts the legs out of the sea a, a little bit. It's because okay, Because we know though. she's lying okay. just to get a rise out of her mother. But we still see that whole situation, which I think is really interesting. That sorry. was you. That was me. That was my <laughs> phone. Um, sorry. I had a meter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it's a great scene. I think they're both great in it. I think it's Anna Paquin's best scene in the movie. Yeah. I think they're both great in it. Um, and I think that it's... All of these things happening perfectly execute Pearl's arc. The confrontation with, with Marty, the confrontation with, with, uh, with Allison, and then ultimately the scene with Walker. Mm-hmm. It all kind of very neatly, very cleanly, very effectively you see her growth. I think over the course of that, I guess it's like 15 or 20 minutes if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um, and then Allison confesses that she didn't have sex with Ross and obviously um, Pearl is relieved. Uh, and then Pearl goes to – to Walker and it's sun-kissed and beautiful and I, I don't know you just any sort of misgivings that I might have had about the relationship or a lack of depth in it or anything like that is conveyed beautifully with basically no dialogue between these two people which is a testament to both of their tremendous acting ability like you just you just you get it hmm. um, I don't know how you guys felt about that scene but yeah no I thought I feel exactly the way you feel I think um, I think the movie total line between making this making their relationship like a um there was a Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand's done this a few times. There's a Barbara Streisand movie called Same Time Next Year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where I think it was her and Robert Redford. Like every year, went to the same place. They were having an affair. They were having an ongoing. Wait, isn't that Ellen Burstyn and Alan Alda? Alan Alda. Yeah, I might be thinking of a different movie, but that is the, no, no. You said oh, the, you said so that, that is the story. Okay, of the movie. so every year, yeah. right? So it's supposed yeah. to. So every year they go to the same place yes. and they have this ongoing affair it's for punctuated like twenty by some odd years, yes. right? Um, but it's like literally like that location and we yes. backfill all of that information. Exactly. Yeah. That romanticizes the yeah. affair. And I think um, I think that has its place. And the Barbara Streisand movie I think I'm thinking of honestly is uh, Prince of Tides, which is also about an affair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that romanticizes the affair. That makes the affair yeah. kind of like the best part of McNulty's life for that period of his life. And there's, a, there's, there's something to that. But um, – that's not what this movie is. That's not what this movie should be. We start with their family. We end with their family. Yeah. We get to know their family and love their family and, and feel like it's important for them to have these two parents in their family. Yeah. So it can't be that perfect moment. It has to be it has to it has to be something that you want to end. Yeah. Right? And I think if it was the kind of thing where they like had some big kiss or had some big moment or it felt like these two were going to get together again, I think it would have really hurt the movie. I agree. No, you've got to be rooting for the family to get back to itself. Yeah. And and also just like rooting for – in a weird way, rooting for them to acknowledge that what they had was was beautiful and lovely and had its place and that it can't continue. You know, that mm-hmm. that, that it's better sometimes to burn out than to fade away. I think that, that – yeah, I think it's a really beautiful scene. And I think that – you know, as we mentioned earlier, your your final scene of this movie is them on the porch, which I think is the best moment of the movie. I think that, as we mentioned, I think the scene that they have uh, in the bedroom might be the best scene of the movie, as cringeworthy as it might very well be. Mm-hmm. This, to me, is sort of you can't ask for a better way to end this film. What I think is interesting is I think that she and Marty have the exact same conversation that she had with Walker, 
where they acknowledge where they were and say, this can't continue this way. And they have to start over in a lot of respects, but they're both all in. Yeah. How bad could that scene have been in the wrong hands? Oh, oh my God. Awful. Oh, speaking of awful, <laughs> did you guys know there's a Walk in uh, Walk on the Moon musical? No. No. Is it awful? Who made that? You have, have you seen it? You look like someone who's seen it. Oh, no. If I, looked, like, if I had the, seen it, I would not have the smile on my face. the music? I was going to say, you said speaking of uh, awful. It was at, uh, <laughs> I think it was in San Francisco. Um, oh, my God. And you, there are clips online. Um I'm not running to buy tickets. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it's still happening anyway. But that the fact that the, and amazing. this was recent, the fact that it became a musical and it's it's. I urge you that to look amazing. at these clips. I oh, there's clips. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we'll check that out off off mic. But yeah, that sounds. I, I mean, I, I really honestly feel like. Um, it's just it's the it's it's a perfect scene to end the film on just because it's filled with as much optimism as you want to see in it mm-hmm. or as much pessimism if you want to see that too and that hesitation like, and, and hesitation yeah. and that you see these two I think the thing that made me love it was that I fell back in love with this couple mm-hmm. like I thought for a second oh these two can make it work and these and you saw how they fell in love which we never saw through any of the film. They're very cute at times. Like the, the, the makeout scene in the car is cute mm-hmm. um, to show the juxtaposition of obviously this, you know, <laughs> ridiculous lovemaking session with Walker versus the car. But this is the first time where you think like these two have grown and they're better people for this experience mm-hmm. and and they, they can find yeah. this love again. I don't know. I think the most interesting part of the scene is, you know, they're on the porch and they're kind of like having their – are we going to do this conversation yeah. with that? Not in so many words. And um, the radio is playing. And at one point you think that he is walking away from the conversation when really Marty goes over mm-hmm. um, to change the and station. changes the station to um, Jimi Hendrix's purple sky. Yeah. Purple, purple, haze. purple haze. And, um, you know, he does his like dad dorky <laughs> yeah. attempt at like being cool. Basically he's trying new things for, you know, showing yeah. that he's not completely, the square. Um, a hard song to dance to. Oh, I mean, <laughs> oh, sure. Literally, <laughs> my, the most impressive part of the movie is that these two white squares were able to dance to this song. Well, but my favorite part is as the <laughs> Me camera. Me too. I know as, what you're going to say. As the camera starts pulling back, they go back to the way they normally dance together. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was the loveliest part. And just uh, her look and his look, mm-hmm. like to just to see a physical transformation in a pretty subtle way. And the song and the dance and then the dancing, like, all of it's just like, it's perfect encapsulation. It's so satisfying. Of, uh, it's, it's really, really great. It's a dream moment. It's, it's like yeah. there's something about that moment yeah. and her and him, the way she's looking at him, the way she's totally. into it, the I way it feels, right way, it, it, it truly <laughs> it's so good. It's it so feels lovely. right. Yeah. It's like, it's such a stupid thing, but like it makes the point that this whole thing was worth it and necessary yep. for both of them. To find exactly where they are. It's a pro-adultery movie. Well, but I, I, that I love. It, 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 it allows them it to is. have conversations it that is. they were incapable of having before. It is. And to both admit what they missed out on, but that they're okay with it. Whereas Unfaithful I, is a very anti-adultery movie. Right. It's true. And they are not better for it. I would, I would also argue. We're better for it. <laughs> I will say this. You said how um, it it makes it all worth it for their characters, right? And the, the the growth that they made and all of that. I would also argue too that any bumps you have in the movie 
are erased because Smoothed it ends out. on on this unbelievable moment. It just goes to show, like, if you kill your third act, it almost doesn't really matter any problems that you had in Acts 1 and 2 mm-hmm. because your audience is leaving that theater with the best possible. I mean, I, I remember I, I went to see Captain Marvel recently. I had my mm-hmm. issues with Acts 1 and 2. Oh, I feel but Acts 3 about it. fucking yeah. kills it. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I'm sure that works. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we rate the movies on this podcast okay. from zero to 99. Zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest. Ooh. Uh, we rate them what we thought in 99 if we saw the film in 99. Okay. Uh, then we rate it pre-podcast, and then we rate it after the podcast. Okay. So, I did, was not told there would be math involved. <laughs> so <laughs> you think about that. We'll go first, okay. and then you can – so I, I, I didn't see this film in 99. Before this podcast, I, I would have given this film a 72. Um, and I'd say after this podcast, I'd actually go up. I think I'm at like a 78 now. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I really like this film. Like I, yeah. I can't. I I I went into it with basically no expectations. You know, music of the heart didn't really do it for me. So I was like, I don't know. But I knew that there was an affinity for this film, and that it was a little bit of a sleeper movie that a lot of people loved. And it's just a great cast. It's a great movie. I, I don't. I don't really have much else to say other than that. I thought this movie was a homework assignment. Yep. Uh, more than anything, we have a bunch <laughs> for of- For Hebrew school. <laughs> for Hebrew school. We have a bunch of those. Yeah. Uh, and we you do. know what? A lot of them, Phil, have turned out to be movies that I've really loved. I so, totally agree. Yeah. Um, including this one. I loved it on I loved it on the first watch. I mean, I feel like I, I had 76. So that to me, that's like a very strong yeah. score for a movie like this. I have to go higher. I'm, I'm giving it an 84. Like, Damn. I, I really- I. I Got to be true to myself. I loved the movie. So, and that's I can't okay. believe it. And it's one of the, well, it, what's <laughs> no. weird, that's a very good point. It, it is okay. <laughs> There's, it, yeah, no apology necessary. But, but I would like, I could see myself, and I never do this, I could see myself putting this movie on. Um, I almost never just put on a movie because I want to watch it. I, I either put on movies that are new or mm-hmm. movies that we're watching for this podcast or movies that inform my writing in some way. Yeah. Um, but I could just see myself winding down with this movie it feels right to me it feels good um thank you toby yeah for for pushing this on seriously oh my gosh yeah what's your score um in 99 pretty sure i saw it in 99 like i was telling you before probably on like a trip with our temple uh (laughs) i wish i was kidding like i really think um i probably thought it was fantastic back then because i was just getting into you know um Thinking about film differently. Sure, sure. Um, so I probably would have given it like a 93 or something like ridiculous. Um, before the podcast, I probably would have given it about an 82. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I'm up to like 87, 88. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. With it's this. a really beautiful movie. It's. It, it, I, I, I'm I, proud of them. Yeah. I didn't expect <laughs> this. I think it's going to be a contender when we do 102 in review, I, I, which I think, is crazy. I think it's absolutely going to be a contender. Diane Lane's performance, without a doubt. Without a doubt, her. But I might even like – yeah, Tony might be, might be in there me for too. me for best director. What we do, I think we're, I think what we should do is everything from 52 yeah, no, that's, to that's the, what, the yeah, last yes, 50. Yes, yeah, yeah. I could see him getting nominated too. I could see Speaking that. Speaking of Tony, the little boy who Tony we didn't Tony. talk about. Yeah. Danny. Bobby Danny. Borello. He played young Tony Soprano. Oh. <laughs> that's awesome. That's amazing. That's super cool. So he, he's really good at falling. <laughs> <laughs> That was all I know. That guy, that kid, that kid just sees blood and falls like six times. In that show. The kid's just good at fainting. He's yeah. just, he's just afraid of his dad in every part. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, well, thank you so much. Fucking for Fucking sweet, on, dude. I love this Are podcast. Are you kidding me? Thank you guys for having me. Will you me? come back? Yes. Okay, so I'll send you the list and we'll 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 do another one. Please. Okay, great. What do we do next week? So uh, next week, it's a big one um, for us uh, because we got to sit down with uh, the other co-host from Blank Check. We got to sit down with David Sims. I'm sure he's going to love that. The other co-host. You know what I mean. He's, you know, he's the other of the two friends. He's the other two friend. The other friend. I don't know. You you mean it in the pejorative way. No, I I mean it in a loving way. uh, Yes, he's one of two co-hosts. Like how, you know, you're the other host of podcasts. (laughs) That's how you describe me to others, right? Uh, yeah, he's the yeah, other host. I'm the other host. No, I say you're the co-host. He so is the co-host. Obviously, David co-host. Sims. David Sims is the co-host of Blank of Jack, of our favorite podcast. We were thrilled to uh, to actually, you know, Kenny and I uh, went to New York to record these episodes that we have. Uh, and it was just, it was a thrill to, to sit in the audio boom studios to, to, to see where the magic happens. Um, and, uh, you know, to work with, uh, with Ben Hosley and David and, and get to talk about, uh, an odd little movie in mystery men. Um, but it turned out that I'm still thinking quite about. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I listened to the episode again the other day and we, we go through quite a, a journey on Mystery Men. I feel like we all kind of find our way to enjoy it by the end of that episode. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting movie. It's an interesting movie because I, I feel like there is a pretty strong cult for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a it, not partic- not particularly fondly remembered movie, but kind of oddly remembered in that. Oh yeah, that 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 superhero movie with no real superheroes that happened before the superhero <laughs> boom sure okay yeah um yeah i remember that i remember simpler times before everything was endgame <laughs> so. yeah it, it it it's got a lot of love online now i think it's a movie that through the you know as we discuss in the episode but through the lens of of 2019 and the sort of the superhero comic book you know um deluge that we live in now it's quaint in its own way now you know, it's, it's, and it's got a it's stellar, quite is a perfect word it's, for it. it's got a stellar cast. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a blast. We got to sit down with David and, and talk about it and talk about comic book movies with, with him, which was just in and of itself, you know, kind of an honor. And, and it was just awesome to just sit down and, and be able to chat with him and talk about that stuff with him. So that's coming up next it week. It's the one and only, it's the one and only superhero movie of 1999. It is. It is the know. only the only comic book movie we have in 1999 is Mystery Men. So if that doesn't say it all, <laughs> I don't know what does. If, if that doesn't give you a clue why we chose this year, nothing will. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so next week, David Sims, Mystery Men. Uh, please check it out. Um, you're on Twitter, right? What's your uh, handle? <laughs> It is at Toby Herman 27. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am at PM Iscove on Instagram and Twitter. We are at podcast like 99 podcast like 99. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. And thank you for listening. Thank you guys again. Oh, I, Kenny, you're at Nybar. I'm at Nybar. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Later, guys. Bye. Yeah.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.